The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where once a year we go into the world of horror where I am very, very scared to go because my training as a director, instructor, and filmmaker in los angeles california doesn't make me feel safe in these kinds of movies john <laughs> yeah hello everyone this is john roke a writer producer and host here in san diego and in los angeles when i can get up there but yes i agree with you steve people know from my time at collider and my times and interactions with perry nemeroff i'm not the biggest horror fan in terms of loving all kinds of horror and when i do but but i am very selective of horror and those are the films I enjoy. But the reason I enjoy them is because they take me on an incredibly emotionally insane roller coaster ride and mess with me. So I'm not keen on going back in there as well, Steve. So I hear you very much. Well, and, and of course, the reason we're doing this is that it's Halloween is coming up. In fact, I think this will come out the day before, a couple of days before okay. Halloween. And uh, we've gone through a whole variety of scary genres from, oh, yeah. from Stanley Kubrick's the shining which is filled with dread we've done the thing we've done the first arguably one of the first slasher films halloween Mm. we did uh nightmare on elm street and now we are going into the meta (laughs) postmodern horror film and that is scream directed by wes craven yeah Uh, this one every uh, you know when you talk to kids from the 90s this is their one this is their movie this spoke their language this is when look i was in my 20s in the 90s but teenagers they love this movie worship at the altar of this movie i think it had like five sequels six total and it's been a tv series they're coming out with a new one uh, a reboot so it, it clearly it still carries weight and ironically it it became a meta horror film that commented on horror films that came before as if those horror films existed in their universe like it exists in ours and then became one of the seminal franchises in horror film history how interesting no it's it's a completely bizarre one and it also happens to be a patreon pick Mm. so matt korea has picked this for his film and we would love to hear why matt wanted us to talk about scream What's up, John and Steve? This is Matt from Miami, Florida, and thank you for doing another one of my picks, Scream. Wes Craven does such a masterful job at creating a horror film that commentates on the genre calling out its tropes, while simultaneously creating a classic entry in of itself. The performances are top-notch here, which is highlighted by, in my opinion, one of the craziest performances I've ever seen coming from Matthew Lillard. The movie is both critical of classic classers while creating an iconic slasher itself in Ghostface. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much, Matt. We appreciate all of your support. And everyone out there, you too can pick a film for us to discuss on The Cinephiles by going to patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. John, how did you come to screen? Uh, I I came to it, I think, at the time that it came out. I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure 
I went to see it in the theater with a bunch of friends, maybe on a late night. And what is this, 95, 96? 96. It's 96, so I'm probably hanging out with some of my friends in Charlottesville, Virginia. I'm probably going to see it in Charlottesville, Virginia, or maybe just on the tail end of being in Northern Virginia before I went to Charlottesville, Virginia. So I can't remember specifically who I went to see it with, but I do remember going to see it and actually liking it and finding it interesting and thought it was a film that uh, had some weight to it, surprisingly so, because I thought it was going to be a throwaway film. But there's a lot more going on here. And kind of like Starship Troopers, it can be a bit of an illusion that it's a simple throwaway film, but it's actually speaking about more things, commenting on society a little bit more than people give it credit for. So for me, this is the middle of me in film school. I didn't see it in the theater. (laughs) Ah. This is also the middle of me at my most snooty. Yes. Um, And our good friend, Matt Garcia, uh, said, you guys have to see this movie. You have to see this movie. And so at my apartment on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles, uh, I believe we rented the Laserdisc. Ooh, wow. Because I had a Laserdisc player at this Hello. time. Talk about and we, snooty. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, full, <laughs> the full snoot. The nose was way up in the air, John. And uh, uh, we watched it, and I went, that was okay. You know, oh, wow. didn't, didn't love it. I mean, I'm not a horror guy. Right. I'm majorly snooty at the time. Uh, and then I worked on the DVD, so I watched it a bunch then, and then mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it in 20 years. And I got to say, there are elements of this movie I absolutely love. Yes. And I don't love this movie. So, wow. you know, we're going to okay. have to go through, you know, sometimes we, I always, we always try to be positive and, and, yes. and I am, like I said, there are things that are great in this film, mm-hmm. but there are things that really bugged me, particularly watching it this time. And so we're going to talk about some of that too. Okay. So a little bit of pre-production, the biggest, most important thing of pre-production is that the slasher film was dead mm-hmm. like after the heyday of slasher films in the 80s sequel after sequel came out and every single one of them did worse than the one before nobody was interested in freddie or jason or michael myers it just wasn't working and so naturally that's when kevin williamson our screenwriter decided to write one yeah and he by the way is totally broke buying on his rent car needed repair he's doing some house sitting and he is watching, like on TV, a true crime horror story about <laughs> the Gainesville Ripper, the wow. serial killer, which I didn't know anything about. The guy named Danny Rowling, who murdered five students in Gainesville. Wow. And he's sitting on the couch watching this thing. Did you know about this? No, I did horror? not. Even, even living in Charles, I mean, sorry, even living in Tallahassee and having friends like Michael Vogel from, from Gainesville. Gainesville. Uh, it has never come up in conversation. I didn't know there was a Gainesville Ripper. Interesting. Me okay. neither. Me neither. And as he's sitting there, he realizes that at this strange house he's house sitting at, the window is open. <laughs> and he goes, and then he gets really freaked out. And so he calls ah! up a friend. It's like, and I, you know, you're yeah. a young guy somewhere and you don't know. Maybe he's in the hills. By the way, we had, um, you obviously know my house. Yeah. We had our friends, uh, Josh Haber and his girlfriend, Sarah, at the time, mm. house sat for us uh, right after we bought this house. And when we came home, they're like, we, we can't ever house it for you again. You guys live in, you live in Manson country, <laughs> which is true. It's in the hills. It's it kind of isolated. It can be scary. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so he called a friend and he, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm freaked out. And that led to a conversation about scary movies. He wow. said, what's your favorite horror movie? And then they started talking about the cliches and the rules 
And suddenly this becomes a script mm-hmm. and he, an idea for a script. And he hightails it to Palm Springs where, according to what he says, he wrote this script in three days. Wow. Yeah. Including, apparently, five-page treatments for the next two sequels. Whoa. put on the end of the thing yep she's talking about confidence in your in your uh, in the uh, script or a, or a idea wow well it's also you know there's that strange line between con- confidence and desperation the guy's, <laughs> well, the guy's broke yeah. you know he's like he's like i gotta get this thing out um <laughs> the movie is the title of the film is scary movie which remained the title for almost until the end of production oh i wonder if that's why the parody is called scary movie that's that what i was thinking title. too yeah um right. it, and this suddenly becomes one of the hottest scripts in Hollywood. Wow. And, and I love the description, by the way. One of the descriptions they use is that this is a John Hughes movie gone to hell. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> description, actually. Um, I love and it. one of the people that is really interested in it is Bob Weinstein. Oh, uh, they okay. just formed, and this is a Weinstein project. Yeah, of course. And we just, just formed Dimension Films, which is to do genre films. He loved the script, and there's like a serious bidding war. A uh, bunch of studios wanted it. Oliver Stone wanted to direct it. Wow. Which the Oliver Stone version of Scream, I can't really imagine. Didn't we get that Natural Born Killers? I feel like, yeah. Like, yeah, a little bit. Actually, totally. What year is Natural Born Killers? I, uh, it's before this, I think. It's like, see, uh, yeah, let's see here. Natural Born Killers, 94. 94. Okay. All right. So he had just, it's weird. He had just done Natural Born Killers and now he wants to do Scream. Yeah. How bizarre. <laughs> Finally, uh, Bob Weinstein bought it for $400,000. So Kevin Williamson went from being broke to having a good chunk of change. <laughs> and the director they wanted was Wes Craven. And he said, no. He he's like I kind of I've got it done enough horror movies, <laughs> and and you know the the slasher movies weren't being successful, and he's right. like I want to make some other films, and so he didn't want to do it. And then they went out to George Romero, they went out to Danny Boyle, Robert Rodriguez, Sam Raimi. None of them wanted to do it. Wow, which is weird to me that you go from the hottest script in Hollywood to you can't get these directors to do it, mm-hmm. and then but the script went out and a bunch of people saw it, including Drew Barrymore who signed up. Wow. To play the lead, uh-huh. Sydney, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of amazing. And that's the moment that Wes Craven went, okay, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> and five weeks before they are to shoot, Drew Barrymore calls up Bob Weinstein and says, I don't want to play Sydney. I want to play Casey, the blonde at the beginning. This was Drew Barrymore's idea. Wow. That's surprising. Not a lot of a-list stars and she certainly was at the time would take a smaller role versus the lead role but maybe she sensed this was a great way for her to kind of stand out in this uh in this movie uh and get in and out and work on other projects maybe well and it's it seems like there's kind of two narratives on this and 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 one is is that drew is the savvy producer who realized that this is going to be a really cool choice to make yeah as as the the star who gets killed in the first 15 minutes of the movie or she might have had another gig that she kind of wanted to do <laughs> that's what i feel like feels more believable to me <laughs> and i don't i don't have i don't know what movie she did at the same time but mm-hmm. that's possible too and initially everyone's this is a terrible idea look we just got you as a star you're our star right and then they started to go, it's like, it's going to be like Psycho, you know, is that this, uh, you're going to follow this character and think they're the star. And what a shock this is going to be. Oh, yeah. You know, this is like, you know, decades before Game of Thrones, we're right. going to kill off a lead and totally shock 
everyone. Right. Uh, the movie was shot over eight weeks up in Northern California, right near where my sister lives. Uh, between <laughs> April and June in 1996, it had a budget of 15 million, and that is all the pre-production I got. Wow. Okay. Would you like to enter the world of screen? I like scary movies. Let's do it. <laughs> you don't like scary no, movies. No, I, I really don't. Not that much. <laughs> um, and I, by the way, I think I've said this before. They've done some research. There's probably, it's probably DNA that oh. you and I don't have of why we don't like this as That much. makes so much sense. That makes so much sense because I'm always amazed at the people who are into these movies and even some of the female horror movie critics i'm always surprised because they're the first people that are very about like pro-feminist pro pro-women points of views yet these are tna movies for the most part especially the slasher films it's only oh, yeah. been recently that we've seen the horror kind of transcend into a whole nother place at in more vo- with uh, more titles coming out that address philosophical concepts within horror uh in the past it's been a lot of tna so it's just kind of surprising in that uh, when i see that happen for sure so well let me ask you this question yeah do you like crazy roller coasters i do yes okay i I love roll i go seven times on a roller coaster i love roller coasters so because there's something what what they talked about is what happens for in scary movies for some people is you get this huge after the scare you get a huge endorphin rush yeah and you feel awesome which is people relate to why do you go on a roller coaster because it creates the sensation in a weird way of i i'm gonna die (laughs) but it's in a totally safe way right and so you get this rush at the end anyway i could see that this movie starts with scary music and a phone call hello i think this open you know i said there's things that i love yeah i think this opening sequence is amazing yeah it's so damn good. And we have Drew Barrymore, very blonde, who yes. answers the phone in her big house. And I, the way this whole thing escalates is so great. Who is this? Mm, who are you trying to reach? What number is this? What number are you trying to reach? I don't know. Well, I think you have the wrong number. Do I? It happens. Take it easy. And one of the things we talked about this before, we know we're in a scary movie. Right. We probably saw the trailer. We know that this is the bad guy on the phone. Mm-hmm. Hello? I'm sorry. I guess I dialed the wrong number. Uh, so why'd you dial it again? To apologize. What I love about this is the way it transitions. Mm-hmm. So first, wrong number. Second, he's kind of, he wants to flirt with the girl. Yeah. Right? Right. A- and she says they've got 900 numbers for that. See ya. And she hangs up because the woman's not going to talk to some strange guy who wants to flirt with her on the phone. That doesn't make sense. Exactly. And she goes over to the kitchen and she gets out that Jiffy Pop. Yeah. I love Jiffy Pop growing up. (laughs) Jiffy Pop is so much more fun than microwave popcorn. (laughs) I bought it a couple times for Jax just because it's fun to do it. Anyway. So she's making the Jiffy Pop, and one one of the things that uh, Wes Craven said is that the Jiffy Pop acts like a clock for the scene. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Is because we keep checking back on where is the Jiffy Pop right, right. as we go along, because it gets left on the stove. Uh, hello? Why don't you want to talk to me? <laughs> but and listen, if you're watching the movie now, and, and how many people have, or how many, how can I say this straight up, like how many women who are watching the movie for the first time 
have had this experience or remember this experience from the 90s. I don't mean the, 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 the fact that it's like a crazy person on the phone. I mean having someone call you who you do not want to talk to and yeah. constantly call you back. I mean, one of the most famous scenes about phones in film is Swingers when oh, Favreau uh, calls, him, uh, calls that poor girl 27 times because he's caught up in his own shit. But like how many women just were just like uh, afraid to deal with people calling on the phone and especially young men who are, who got their number somehow uh, through nefarious means and are trying to kind of, you know, make a connection here. So it plays on a real life thing and kind of augments it as it goes along in this scene. Well, first of all, that scene in swingers is among the most painful scenes <sighs> in every, any movie ever. Agreed. I, I, it hurts me so much. Yeah. Like I would probably just like, let's just skip this. Let's skip over <laughs> it. Uh, by the way, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I really like Swingers. Yeah, Swingers is a good an interesting movie. movie for us to do at some point. I'm down. Always. Um, down. The other thing is that this movie, and this is what's so key to it, is this movie is aware that the people watching the movie love horror movies, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so this is, you know, this is when a stranger calls. Like this is oh, classic point. horror movie thing that we're in the middle of. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the the voice of Ghostface mm -hmm. is Roger L. Jackson, who's a well known voice actor. Okay. And originally they just hired him to do temp stuff and they thought they would do another voice later. Right. And then they liked his voice so much because it has that mix of, of naturalness and kind of neutralness and mm -hmm. then being really, really, really scary yeah. when he wants to be. And here's how they did this. There's a bunch of interesting directorial choices they made. And one of them was they never let any of the actors see the person who was this voice. Oh, wow. And normally when you do stuff, when you're doing a phone call, the normal way you do it on the set is the other actor probably is not there. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so you, the script supervisor or someone else is off camera feeding the lines. That's yeah. not what they did. They had Roger Jackson in another room on the phone doing this scene with them. Wow. And they put, brought him out in and out of that room in ways that the actors never saw it. So they just picked up the phone and heard this voice. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Jesus, that is brilliant. Yeah. Um, and, wow. and and they're also using this voice box to alter the voice because one of the ideas is, and this is key to the film, and th mm -hmm. these are the things that I really love. Anybody could be Ghostface. Yes. Hey, just like I said in Into the Spider-Verse, Steve, the mask always fits. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> um, and and there's this transition. that So first we had, it's wrong number. Yeah. Second we have, there's 900 numbers for that. Now we have she starts to get intrigued with flirting with him. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. And then we get the line. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. <laughs> this is, do you like scary movies the key to the whole film? Yeah, I think. Yeah. And he asks, what's her favorite? And she says, Halloween. And you could totally see that she's starting to enjoy talking to this guy. Yeah, a little bit. Like the, the uh, what do you call it? The uh, the danger of it, right? Yeah. There's a little bit of an attraction to the danger, um, which isn't a bad thing. It's okay to be attracted a little bit to danger. Just of course. Careful. You said, Just ask mother if you can sleep with danger. That's the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> hey, oh. Um, uh, and what, what I love, too, is that this is a, you know, this is where I, the term meta came from for mm -hmm. me. Mm. You know, because we talk about Nightmare on Elm Street and this movie is being everyone watching this yeah. knows this movie is being directed by the guy who did Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, good point. Good um, point. So, by the way, Wes Craven didn't want to have that line in there because he oh. he, he says because it seemed egotistical. 
but it that. also but the light is also well the first one is good but the rest suck <laughs> <laughs> that's also part of it that's fair yeah and now another key moment so you got a boyfriend <laughs> she doesn't say yes she says why you want to ask me out on a date maybe do you have a boyfriend mm, no why does she say no? Um, I think at this point, she's kind of maybe interested in it, in playing around with it, you know, having some fun. It's a Friday night. She's alone. So, you know, she, her parents aren't there. No one's asked her out. So she's watching a movie. Now, listen, there's two dudes talking about this. You ladies who are listening to us, if you think the motivation is completely different, feel free to chime in on Facebook or tweet at us or, or wherever you want to leave comments on it. But this is our analysis of it. What I see here is, uh, just like what I would do when I was younger, there's a little bit of danger and interest um, in having someone kind of ask you about yourself, someone mysterious, someone you don't know. There's kind of a fun little flirty, playful uh, stuff that can go with it. And so, you know, and you're still kind of a young person in your 20s. You're still becoming an adult or no, she's a teenager. Sorry. You're still like kind of, you know, glimpsing what it's like to be a young adult at, at that age. So it's kind of scary and fun, you know? I agree with everything. Again, you're right. These are, we're two dudes. Yeah. But I think many people, not everyone, like there's a line and you're not supposed to cross that line. Yeah. But where that line is can be a little bit ambiguous. Up for and tiptoeing yeah. tip up to the line, <laughs> getting sort of line adjacent, you haven't actually done anything wrong. There's something fun about that. Yeah. It is, as you, you know, as you said, playing with danger. And what kind of people want to watch horror movies? Right. People who like playing with danger. Yeah. yeah. You know? So I think this all kind of fits in. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. <sighs> oh, yeah. That's when, that's when it turns. Yeah. That's when it turns. What did you say? I want to know who I'm talking to. That's not what you said. And what's so funny is we all know that he's a scary guy because we're watching a yeah, horror movie. Right, exactly. But that moment, I want to know who I'm looking at. That mm. is key. Yeah. And he hangs up, goes to the Jiffy Pop, and the phone rings. Shit. When that phone comes in every yeah. time, it gets more stressful each time. Yes. The build is great. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I told you not to hang up on me. And the voice has changed. Yeah. Steve, I wonder, let me ask you a question. Yes. As Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson, like there's two, there's two dudes and you get, right. they, they understand certainly Kevin Williamson, as you said, he's broke, but I'm sure he's watched a number of movies just like Tarantino did for a long time. And so sure. he understands like what he's trying to create here in the writing. And Wes Craven is here. Do you think that they did some study on the build of a conversation like this, that le that the change in pay, like lure her in, and then once you lure her in, scare the shit out of her as you go along, and and by level, step by step, because he doesn't come on strong, he comes right. on playful, he's got a weird voice, and then boom, things start to slowly change, and then when he changes his voice, don't you hang up on me, but it becomes even more unsettling. Is this something, as you said, they studied the Gainesville verb or based on the Gainesville verb, is this something that was studied by the director or by the screenplay writer to get, to find out how these serial killers are able to lure these young women into these situations? Like here's what? my, here's my opinion. Yeah. I think what they studied is horror films. Okay. I don't think that they were studying, I think the, actually the Quentin Tarantino reference is totally accurate in my mind because mm. Quentin Tarantino doesn't know anything about life. 
Quentin Tarantino knows everything <laughs> about movies. Right. And his movies are about movies in good this point. way. And yeah. that's totally what this is. Mm -hmm. And I also think Kevin Williamson's a really good writer. Yeah. And that's that is structurally how you're supposed to do it, is you're supposed to build tension piece by piece mm -hmm. over time. Yeah. Because the next moment that happens is she tries to stand up to him. Yes. She says, listen, asshole. Listen, asshole. No, you listen, you little bitch. You hang up on me again, I'll gut you like a fish, understand? Whoa. Yeah. Rough. Tough, man. Yeah. And by the way, he calls her Blondie, which yeah. means that's another that's another escalation. Yeah. He knows what her hair color yep. is. Or who she is, at least. Yeah. By the way, the music is super heavy and aggressive horror movie. Yeah. The composer is Marco Beltrami. He'd done some TV, never done a feature film. And Wes's assistant oh. found him and said, you got to listen to this guy. And Wes Craven goes, okay, I'll give him a try. Hands him the opening scene. Says, yeah. tell me what you can do with this. Bring me something tomorrow. Beltrami stays up all night, brings <laughs> to the scene, and they go, you got it. Wow. And that started his career. Wow. So now... She's scared. Casey yeah. is scared. She locks all the doors. She's looking out through the window. I love there's a shot where she's at the front door and she's peeking out through the glass at the top. So you yeah. only see the top of her head. Yeah. It's a great shot. Listen, I am two seconds away from calling the police. They'd never make it in time. We're out in the middle of nowhere. What do you want? To see what your insides look like. By the way, apparently they had to use the real landline. I don't quite understand this. Oh, okay. And I think maybe it was because of Roger Jackson, who's in the other room oh. that's calling her. And that's why they had to just use the real landline in the house. That's what they said. Interesting. And so what happened in the course of shooting the scene is Drew Barrymore multiple times actually called the police. <laughs> what? <laughs> Until the police finally called back and said, what the hell's going on? Cut this shit out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, quite know how that happened, but that's what that's what they said. Wow. Who's there? I'm calling the police. You should never say who's there. Don't you watch scary movies? It's a death wish. And this is what they're setting up. And and I think there are problems I have in the film. I think this idea is absolutely stunning. Yeah. Which is the people in the movies you said at the beginning know about scary movies. Yeah. We're in a world where people have been educated with this already and are making choices based on what they know about scary movies. And it works. And it works so well. You know, Steve, to me, it's comparative to Saving Private Ryan. Uh, this is a great opening sequence that immediately puts you into the vibe of the film. The problem is, for me, and I agree with you to a, to a degree, Steve, this is, the film goes downhill from here overall. This opening scene is the best scene in the movie. It is. Yeah. It is. In my opinion, I think it's. I think it's excellent. Yeah, I really do. And then now she's going to stand up to him. Yeah, because she gives him an or else, and he says, "Or else what? Or else my boyfriend will be here any second, and he'll be pissed when he finds out." It's great writing. Mm -hmm. That's great writing because we remember that she said she didn't have a boyfriend. Right. I lied. I do have a boyfriend, and he'll be here any second. So your ass better be clean. Sure. I swear. He's big and he plays football and he'll kick the shit out of you. I'm getting you scared. I got to say this, Steve. Um, watching it this time around, I thought, and I, because and I don't, I've only seen the movie two or three times. I was afraid that she was going to yell, and he's black. Like I was just, and in my mind, wow. I, was, I was like 2021 20, eyes. 
are we going to hear this? Because that was okay to say back then. And I wondered, not that it was okay to say it. I mean, like people accepted it or whatever. And I was just wondering if he was going to say wow. that. And I was very happy that he, she didn't. Yeah. So in my mind, I was just like, fuck, please don't go here. Because I don't remember the film that much. Please don't go here. And they didn't, thank God. But yeah. yeah. The, I, the <laughs> boyfriend who plays football, that's standard stuff, which I think is brilliant. Right. His name wouldn't be Steve, would it? The steps of it getting more serious and yeah. more scary are so good. Yeah, I agree. And he tells her to turn on the patio lights again, which she does. And there is her boyfriend tied up and gagged. Yeah. Who we never meet, by the way. No. We, this is his only appearance, poor Steve. And now she starts to cry. Yeah. And man, I think Drew Barrymore is great in this scene. Oh too. my God. She's fantastic she, in this scene. Yeah. She, the, the, a level of emotion and fear. Yeah. And so here's, so here's a horrible story. It's apparently, um, she, in a moment of honesty, was sitting with Wes Craven, and, and she's a real animal lover, and she yeah. told some story that she had heard or read about where a dog owner had had killed their own dog by lighting the dog on fire. Jesus. And as she told this story to Wes Craven, she burst into tears. It was so emotional for her. Right. And so every time Wes Craven wanted her to cry, he would walk up to her and say, I'm lighting the lighter. Oh, my God. Yeah. What the and fuck? she would and she would burst into tears. <laughs> well, I hope they had some kind of I mean conversation about that. That's terrible. <laughs> I mean, this is what I mean, like directors, <laughs> you know, this is sense memory. I don't have to tell you, yeah. know, like this is what we do, what That's you true. do as an actor. But that particular one feels so awful to me <laughs> to walk up to someone and say that. Oh, that is horrific, man. <laughs> what are you doing, I want to play a game. <laughs> And it's a movie trivia game. And the first question is name the killer in Halloween. Michael. Michael. Yes. Very good. Now for the real question. No. You're doing so well. Name the killer in Friday the 13th. Jason. 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 If you're a horror fan, and I actually think I knew this even then. Yeah, yeah. That it's not Jason in the first movie. But if you're a horror mm. fan and you hear who is the killer in Friday the 13th, the horror fans are all going, it's the mom. <laughs> it's the mom. And so when she goes, it's Jason. Yeah. And then starts fighting on it. That This is where the movie is working in this weird area mm -hmm. of knowing that you're watching a movie, referencing a movie. Yeah. And, and you know what the thing, the movie that I would most compare it to in a totally bizarre way is Galaxy Quest. Oh, interesting. Because, because okay. Galaxy Quest is commenting on Star Trek. Yes, yes, yes. It is aware of the fact that Star Trek is a show and that they're actors in a show. Right. And yet it is simultaneously a fantastic episode of Star Trek. Oh, interesting. Good point, and man. This is a movie that is commenting on horror films yeah. and is very aware that there are things that it's called horror films and it's a really scary film. Yes. You know? The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And that moment that he reveals that it's the mom. Oof. Uh, yeah. 
everybody knows who the real killer is. It's the and mom. He's, yeah. He says, lucky for you, there's a bonus round, but <laughs> poor Steve, I'm afraid he's out. Oh, man. He says, turn on the lights, and we turn on the lights, and there is dead Steve with his guts pouring out. Mm. So lots of problems with the MPAA for this movie, <laughs> really? not surprisingly. I'm sure. This was definitely one of them. They had a lot more entrails and a lot more time spent on intestines falling out of Steve's body. Um, and the way they do this, by the way, is there's mm -hmm. a fake Steve in, on a chair, and the actor is kneeling behind the chair with his head on the top of oh, the fake Steve. smart. That's how we do this. Yeah. Smart. We have the final question, and the final question is, what door am I at? Mm. What's interesting to me, and this is one of the – so, obviously – the cinephile spoils every single movie ever in existence. Yes. So right now we're going to spoil who the killers are. So if you didn't know of this, by the way, it's the 25 years, almost exactly since this movie came out. Oh, yeah. So if you hadn't seen it in 25 years, sorry about that. But it is Billy and Stu are the killers. There are two of them. Yeah. And my question is, are they both here right now? Ooh. I think one is on the phone outside and the other one is in the house. Because they, well, and they also say, which door am I at? They could right. each be at one of the doors. That's a good point. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I think this movie does a good job not breaking its own rules, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. also making it very, very tight and difficult for them to pull off the things that they apparently <laughs> are pulling off. Right. And she refuses to answer. And that's when a chair goes through the patio door. <laughs> and I should have said is that we keep walking by that Jiffy Pop. And yes. it's bigger and it's bigger and then it's smoking. And now when we go back into the kitchen, the Jiffy Pop is on fire. <laughs> the room is filled with smoke. And then for the first time, we see a black, a figure clo cloaked in black yeah. running through the house. So she goes outside. And this is, again, <laughs> that scary movie thing of she just stands there next to the door yeah. for a really long time. Yeah. And she's got still holding on to that cordless phone that we all used to have back at that time. And she turns and looks. And for the first time, we see Ghostface. Yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about this mask. So we knew we had to have a mask. It's actually called Ghostface in the script. And it had to be a mask that someone could get because this is not a supernatural movie. Mm -hmm. It's a movie that's real. And so they had, as you do, costume designers who are designing masks. And they designed all sorts of grotesque masks. Right. Wes Craven didn't like any of them. And then they're literally location scouting, walking through a house up in the Santa Rosa area. It actually is the house that was used for by Alfred Hitchcock to film Shadow of a Doubt. Oh, wow which they didn't actually use for this movie, but right. they're scouting it as a location. And one of the producers finds this mask hanging on a wall. <laughs> Interesting. The, yeah. The mask is apparently just a, a kid's costume mask made by a company called fun world. <laughs> and they go, well, this is it, but we can't use fun world's mask because it's copyrighted. Right. And we want to own the copyright on it. So they go, this is what you do is you go, well, I like this, make something 20% different. And then we could use that instead. So now, because because we don't want to pay this company that designed the mask. Makes sense. <laughs> so now, now we have our des our designers who were initially designing their own mask, trying to make 20% different versions of the mask <laughs> that they found. They designed like 10 of them, and they try them all out. And in the end, they're shooting, and Wes Craven goes, I just like that original mask. Oh, my God. After so they all They used that. the original mask, yep. And they called up Fun World. And, man, my understanding... 
Fun World was not a big costume company. <laughs> they made it. They are still making a shit ton of money <laughs> on this thing. I bet. They, they renamed their mask Ghostface, and that's who do, that's. And we see this mask everywhere all the smart. time. Smart. So fucking yeah. smart. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Make Casey that. lives in a nice house. In fact, everyone in this movie lives in some nice houses. Oh, yeah. This is definitely a residential horror film. No <laughs> the, doubt. It, it is a rich white kid horror film. Yeah, really. fair, fair, fair. Yeah. Um, and this is up in, in Santa Rosa, which is where my sister lives. Uh, my sister does not live on her own vineyard as Casey does. <laughs> <laughs> and she's outside and she sees a car coming and she starts to, to crawl towards underneath the window to get there. And then she ends up running right into Ghostface, yeah, who grabs her. She hits him with the phone. And this is one of the interesting things. And we're going to see this over and over again. Unlike Jason and Michael Meyer or Freddy Krueger, Ghostface is not invulnerable. Yeah, exactly. He, he feels like he's invulnerable, but he's not, right? And he's almost at times comical. Because, oh, I mean, yeah. some of the pratfalls and the flipovers, you're like, oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. Well, this is one of the really weird choices about the movie. And we'll get to some of them later because mm-hmm. they are, they definitely are strange. So uh, she runs past Steve, who's pretty gross. Yes. And Ghostface chases her in slow motion as she's heading towards the car, and he grabs her and stabs her in the chest. Yeah. And the way he stabs her is really unsettling because he doesn't just wing around. He literally holds her, looks for the right spot, and stabs, which I imagine was a conversation between the actor or whoever was in there, because I don't imagine it was Skeeter or Lillard, uh, between whoever was in the costume, Drew Barrymore and uh, Wes Craven, because if these are high school kids, they're going to be like maybe a little more like, OK, I got to hit. They say I, he said to stab her here. Do you know what I'm saying? And so there's it's kind of believable. It could also be believable that it'd be messy and just start stabbing. But the fact that he held her for just a second until he measured out where to put the blade shows you that there was a little bit more of a kind of like nervousness before that person did it, you know? It's a really brutal moment. By the way, the stuntman playing Ghostface for almost the whole movie is uh, Dane Farewell. Okay. Uh, and he does a lot of good stunts. It's almost never our Skeet or uh, Matt mm-hmm. Lillard who, who plays him. Um, but the stabbing thing is another thing, of course, the MPA had problems with. And this is how Wes Craven got away with that shot. He said, that's my only take. <laughs> Wasn't his only take. Total lie. But they said, okay, I guess you could use it. And she tries to fight back. She kept kicks him in the balls. And again, mm-hmm. this is not unstoppable. We're in a Dutch angle, which means that the camera is at an angle. It's not parallel to the floor. And we see the parents walking up and her trying to get to the parents oh. and, and gasping mom, but not being able to scream <laughs> is really brutal. And they walk into the house and see that there's smoke everywhere. There's damage everywhere. And at this moment, he goes faces on top of Drew Barrymore and she reaches up and pulls his mask off and she sees who it is. Right. But we do not. (laughs) That was Drew Barrymore's idea, by the way. It's brilliant. Yeah. Because you see her reaction to the last thing she's going to see and she can't tell anybody who it is. Yeah. I think. uh, Yeah, totally. I think the parents, particularly the mom, are great. Oh, yeah. And mom, mom's building dread and she goes to call the police. And then, because Drew Barrymore is still clutching that cordless phone, Mm -hmm. she hears the gasping sounds of her daughter dying over the phone. Yeah. Oh, my God, I can hear that. And somehow, because we (laughs) see her being dragged, 
and she steps outside maybe 25 seconds later to see Drew Barrymore hanging from a tree limb. I don't know how Ghostface did this so fast. So quickly, yeah. The shot is amazing and disturbing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it might have been our first hint that there were two people, Steve, right? Because, I mean, the other person probably already had the the thing rigged up, and then they just hung her on it, you know? So that's a possibility. And by the way, it was a slow push-in to Drew Barrymore. The Mm -hmm. MPA didn't like it. They're like, that's too brutal. It is a brutal shot. Yeah. Um, and so instead, they took every other frame out of that shot to speed it up. <laughs> and so that's why it has that weird sped up feeling. Uh, and it's interesting, too, by the way, one of the oh other cool things, God. including that fast push in yeah. to her face, which is really disturbing. There is one extra frame, and I had to wind it back and look at it for sure, where just as it's going to black, there's a flash frame where her head kind of moves, mm-hmm. which you don't really notice uh, consciously, but makes it just slightly more jarring and disturbing when it goes to black. Yeah. yeah. There's one extra frame there. Wow. So they're filming. This is one of the first things they filmed. And the daily, the, the dailies are going back to Miramax, Dimension, and the Weinsteins. And Bob Weinstein says... I just want to tell you something. No one else will tell you this, but your dailies suck. And Wes Craven was right on the bubble of getting fired. Wow. Yep. Wow. And so he said, shit. And it's funny. It's like the Godfather. Not that I'm comparing this movie to the Godfather, but <laughs> they, they, they said, we got to cut together this scene right now. They cut together this scene, sent it to Bob Weinstein, uh, and who also, by the way, hated the ghost face mask. He said, it's not scary. Wow. It's terrible. It's stupid. Uh, and Bob Weinstein watches the first 15 minutes of the film, says, it's great. You're a genius. What the hell do I know about masks? <laughs> and so he stayed on the movie. You know, I don't believe a fucking word producers say now. I'm in the place now where I hear these stories and I go, I don't believe a fucking word. I bet he was just like trying to motivate Wes. Maybe he was trying to do a power yeah. play. Or trying to do something here so that they would uh, get some footage to him. And he retains kind of the fear over sets. Because his last name is Weinstein. I don't give a fuck if it's Bob or Harvey, where the fuck it is. Those pe- th- That's how they're built, those two dudes. And that's how they ruled over Hollywood for decades before all that shit came crashing down. So to me, I don't believe a word that he was like going to fire. You would fire Wes Craven. Who the fuck are you to fire Wes Craven, for God's sakes? You're just starting out to make your name. This is mid-90s. This is mid-90s. So it's not like they were ruling for two decades, winning Oscars all over the place. This is mid-90s. So to me, it just was probably a power play by a bunch of dudes who held the strings of the money, man. They are doing well. I mean, this is after Pulp Fiction. So yeah. they are doing well. But but I totally agree with you. And it's it's we should almost put like a disclaimer before every episode of The Cinephiles, which we're never going to do. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. These are the stories that are told about yes, the movie. Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. And like. And some some of them are truth or they have truthiness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they're also their manipulations, as you just said, their exaggerations, their stories to try to make people feel better. Their yeah. story, you know, people don't generally air all the dirty laundry mm-hmm. out. You know, there's a narrative about the film. Plus, that story makes the producer look like he's the per- he's the big dog. Like they had to all kowtow to him and right. rush and do this thing, put it together. So it just keeps uh, promoting the legend of a producer who does things like this, which is of course horseshit. But well, anyway, it, it does it does both things because it does that. Yeah. And because the story ends with him uh giving in and saying you're a genius, it also makes him look like a good guy yeah. who recognizes when he's wrong. Great point. Great point. You know, and Listen it's really it's funny that now I'm doing my second Godfather comparison, but 
Bob Evans told uh, Coppola, if you don't, you have to bring in this movie at under two hours and 10 minutes. And yeah. if you don't, I'm taking you off the movie. He gave him a movie. He cut a two hour and 45 minute movie, cut it down to 210, gives it to Bob Evans, says, what the hell did you give me? A trailer? I'm going to fire you. <laughs> gave him the two hour and 45 minute movie and said, see, I told you, I pushed you and you did the right thing. Yeah. You know? There you go. So after that horrific opening sequence, we now cut to the character Drew Barrymore was going to play. Mm. Sydney, played by Nev Campbell. Uh, apparently, after Drew dropped switched parts, they brought in every single hot young actress. Oh yeah, they could find. Uh, Nev Campbell was on a party five at the time. She had done the craft. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and she's in her pajamas in her bedroom, and she hears something. We're already kind of creeped out, and then from the window, Billy Skeet Ulrich taps her on the shoulder, scares her. <laughs> And this movie, it does so, it does every single false scare you possibly can do. Yeah. Well, and this is the weird thing about the film, which I I have mixed feelings about, is that because it's commenting on the cliches, it gets to do them over even more. Yeah. Which doesn't make them work as much for me, but mm. in horror films, maybe it makes it work a lot for you. Well, also setting it in a real world or supposedly a real right. world where these movies have existed. And so we are in essence, this is a window into our own world. They're allowed almost to get away with it more than once as well. So yeah. Yeah. And uh dad hears has heard something and he comes to look and we reveal a really important detail, which is that the closet door mm -hmm. uh, will block the door to the bedroom. As Steve liked to say, that's a plant. That is a plant. <laughs> well, and it's also written into the script, and they could they looked everywhere for a bedroom that was set up this way. Apparently, Kevin Williamson's childhood bedroom, you could do this. And they had to, because they shot mostly on real locations. These aren't sets. Mm -hmm. So they basically had to build a false wall into the bedroom to build a closet where the door would do this thing. <laughs> um dad goes away we hear that he's going off on a business trip or something and then billy comes in and he talks about how he was watching the edited for television version of the exorcist and it made me think of our relationship they're not they're not going as far as he would want to go right and i do like the way the way it's written he says well two years ago we started off hot and heavy nice solid r rating on our way to an nc-17 how things have changed and lately we're just sort of edited for television <laughs> it's funny my feelings about this have changed quite a bit yeah. as because i think the way the idea of the guy pressuring the girl to move farther than she necessarily wants to go mm. was just what it was when mm. we were growing up you know what right. i mean right of course yeah, and yeah. i don't look at it in that way today yeah you know? yeah um but this is the first we hear of this is the key thing in the relationship is that she won't have sex with him. Yeah. And, and that something happened two years ago. By the way, the music's playing is an acoustic version of Don't Fear the Reaper. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's right. It's playing at a slower pace underneath yep. everything. Yeah, you're right. Yep. And they fool around a little bit until she stops him. He's heading out the window. And she says, and this is a really cute moment. Yeah. She says, Hey, Billy. You settle for a PG-13 relationship? What's that? And she flashes it. Yeah. I think it's really cute. Let me tell you something, guys. And I'm going to tell you this from the years of experience I have. Okay. okay. Lay it on. 
The smartest thing you can ever do is be patient and have enough self-confidence that you're enough for that girl and she's going to figure out how much you are worth and accept your value. And the fact that you waited and you were patient with her, she navigated what she navigated, She will uh, that you will eventually, if there is going to be a romance, it will happen and she will cherish you even more because you were confident enough in yourself to wait. And he's pushing her. He gives, she gives him the PG 13. That should have been enough, but crazy boy. He goes, he goes off the deep end for God's sake. Well, let's be really clear. He's a psychopathic killer. Yes, he and is. it's, so, and it's so funny. Cause like, I don't think I can reconcile quite what's going on with Billy's <laughs> character. It doesn't all fit together to me. Um, <laughs> Even his motivation. So no, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's just, he, I yeah. mean, he's a strange character. I think he was looking for a reason to do the things that he's doing and found one. Yeah, the music continues to be heavy and scary, and we're on a big crane shot heading down to a school where we see. And, and by the way, the way they do this is the classic cheat, which is there is a dude with a steady cam standing on the crane. And so as the crane shot comes down, once it gets to the ground, he just steps off the, the crane and can follow people with a steady cam shot. Uh, yeah, smart. This was supposed to be shot at Santa Rosa High School. Mm. And they had arranged it, they had booked it. The community, you know, Santa Rosa was being great, the city of Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. And then the high school set wanted to read the script. Oof. And the school board got a hold of the script. Uh, and this high school, by the way, is where Peggy Sue got married had been shot. And oh, they had wow. a fine experience with Peggy Sue got married. Right. And here's what's going on. This is three years after the Polly Klaus murders. Oh, uh, and wow. I don't know how much you remember it. Uh, it was, yeah, it's near my house. I mean, not near my house, but it wasn't that far from where I grew up. But it's horrible murder of a little girl. Mm-hmm. And that it is that murder that led to the three strikes rules. Right. That was the murder that set this off because this was a multiple felon. And if there had been a three strike rule, this girl would have been alive. Wow. And this community was really reeling from that. And there was a big part of the community that was like violent, scary movies are inspiring people to do violent, scary things. Right. Right. And there was a huge school board meeting with a thousand people lined up to say why they didn't want this movie shot at this high school. And so right before they were sparked, uh, about to shoot it, they said, no, you can't shoot at the high school. Hmm. So this was actually shot at a community center in Sonoma instead. And what's so interesting is, you know, I listen to commentary tracks and watch interviews and stuff. Yeah. The level of spite that Wes Craven felt for this school board, <laughs> he said it over and over again. And in the end credits, it says literally, as you're going through all the stuff and you normally have your thank yous, yeah. it says, no thanks to the Santa Rosa school board. Oh, Jesus. And the thing is, it's like, oh, dude, I get it. They messed you up and you're scheduling. But yeah. like, th- <laughs> this is what the community decided. I don't, like, there was so much <laughs> anger about it. It just was, seemed bizarre. But there are lots of reporters. We get our first glance of one of the reporters is Linda Blair. Yeah. Who is a buddy of uh, of Wes Craven's? They'd known each other for years, and that's why she's doing this. And then we see Courtney Cox in a yellow dress. She looks spectacular, and she lobbied to get on this movie. Mm. She had gotten a copy of the script. She said the first thirty pages were the most exciting script she had ever read in her entire life. Wow! And they didn't want her. They didn't think that she could play this kind of part. Yeah, and she's yeah. at the height of this is mid Friends. 
Yep. She Friends is a huge hit. They went out to Janine Garofalo, who passed. They went out to Brooke Shields, who passed. And Courtney Cox keeps calling them because she really wanted to play the part. And finally, they did uh, cast them. Yeah. Uh, and we also get to meet Tatum, Rose McGowan. Yeah. Who I think she's great in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And, I think she's great. And I, I don't want to spend any time on it whatsoever, but this is where she meets Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. She's fantastic in the film, too. You know, whatever your feelings are about Rose, Rose had, like, there was a path for Rose to walk. Yeah. If, if the path had not been obscured by some of the un, unsavory shit that went down, you know. She, the, she's great in this. Uh, she's fantastic and charmed. She was sweet to me when I was on the set mm. and worked on the That's scene right. that we had. Yeah, because she comes in right after me on this on that episode of Charmed. And I was sitting off stage, and it was the first thing I ever booked, thanks to Karen, yep. your wife. And I said to I in the moment of just whatever uh, moment of honesty, I looked at her and I said, I am so nervous. I don't think I've ever been this nervous. It's my first ever one. She, she put her hand on my arm. On my on my arm and just rub it. She said, "Honey, you're gonna be fine. It's just a couple of lines, and this is a this is a TV show. Don't sweat." Yeah. And it was like it really kind of calmed me down, That's and awesome. I was able to do a line. Yeah. So I've always had a very positive opinion of Rose McGowan. Um, and Sh- Sydney Nev Campbell didn't know anything about these brutal murders, mm. and the way Tatum talks about them is a clue to the whole philosophy of the movie. Mm. Casey Becker and Steve Orst were killed last night. No way. And we're not just talking killed. We're talking splattered movie killed. Ripped open from end to end. Which rubs me a bit the wrong way, I think, at this point. Which is that Kevin Williamson, Wes Craven, their whole idea was that kids today in the 90s were way more hard-edged, way more cynical, way less caring. They were desensitized to violence. And that is what is being reflected in the movie. Interesting. Yeah. Um, because they're just making, Tatum's making jokes right away about these, you know, that, that yeah. Sydney's having a, an, Sydney's the only person that actually has an emotional reaction to almost anything. Right. She's texting me in English. Not anymore. Yeah. But also I think Tatum is doing the classic hide in plain sight. Maybe. You know, make, you know, make the joke, make a big deal out of it, come off like the asshole. So nobody could possibly think it'd be you because you're such an a-hole, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, yeah, that's very possible. But I hear, I you know, obviously it's Wes says it, then you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, then we cut to the English class with the empty seat sitting next to Sydney, mm-hmm. and we hear that basically the cops are interviewing every single person in the school, and now it's Sydney's turn, and she goes to the principal's office where we see. Well, let's start with the principal, Henry Winkler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Apparently, they said, and again, this goes to what we were saying before. I can't believe this is really true, but what was said in some of the bonus materials on the Blu-ray was Henry Winkler had not only not acted in a horror movie, mm-hmm. he had never seen a horror movie. Wow. I don't know if that's possible, <laughs> but he really, really wanted to be in this one. And then we also get to meet the sheriff and his deputy Dewey, played by David Arquette. Um, he was a huge Wes Craven fan. And they wanted him to audition, I think, for Stu. They didn't want him to audition for Dewey. Dewey was written as this big sort of handsome muscle-bound guy. Mm -hmm. And he said, I want to play Dewey. Partially because he had a crush on Courtney Cox. (laughs) (laughs) That makes Um, sense. And and, and they let him read it. And for some reason, because it doesn't make any sense in terms of how the character is actually written. But Wes Craven loved what he did with it. And I think David Arquette, in a lot of ways, kind of steals the show, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 
he is he is also a very divisive figure oh, in yeah. the film. Um yeah. and and they're asking her, you know, Sydney questions, and there is a weird ass moment where Henry Winkler touches her face. Oh yeah. It, it is it is weird. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to see Henry now. Now that I've like Barry and all this is how I see Henry yeah. Winkler now. I forgot he was the principal, but I think he does a really great job. Like this and the water boy are interesting places for him to show up for sure. He's in the a, 90s. What's so funny is like, because the Fonz was my hero. Yeah. I had a fake leather jacket. Uh, not only did I have a fake leather jacket, but I would wear it with my Fonzie t-shirt while mm-hmm. riding my Huffy dirt bike. And I would, you know, do the thumbs and everything. Like I... When I was nine, man, the Fonz was the coolest. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. It, of course. And it's so funny thinking of who I now know Henry Winkler to be, which is the sweetest, most gentle mm-hmm. person in the universe. <laughs> you know? Yeah, agreed. Um, and now we're outside, sitting in front of a fountain with the gang. They didn't ask me if I liked that. It's because there's no way a girl could have killed them. That is so sexist. The killer could easily be female. Basic instinct. That was an ice pick. Not exactly the same thing. Yeah, Casey and Steve were completely hollowed out. And the fact is, it takes a man to do something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Understood. Oh. Wow. That's how it works, ladies and gentlemen. It can work like that sometimes. You just never know. If you're in the right position at the right time, you just never fucking know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can be. Well, if I was still doing it, it could be. But obviously I'm not. But, like, you always wanted to be that person that was randomly in the right place at the right time and got asked to jump into audition for something. So, yeah. And two things are happening. One is we're hearing all this talk about the murders and getting some exposition. And two is we're watching Sydney have a very different reaction from everybody else. Yeah. To, to what they're talking about. Yeah. Almost so much so that I, uh, it, 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 the film does a great job of making you suspect almost everybody, including Rose McGowan. Cause yeah. Rose McGowan isn't reacting in the same way. She is like kind of telling him to stop or whatever, but she's not emotional about it the way Sydney is. Right. And it, and we find out why obviously because of his, her mom and whatever. And that's, it's the one year anniversary. So it really does affect her on a deeper level. And then when Rose McGowan is late coming to the house, and we'll get to that scene in a little bit, it makes it even more possible. So they do a nice job of making you think it could be anybody. Yeah. Well, that is definitely the intent of the movie. Yeah, that is yeah. that 100%. They purposely threw suspicion at everybody. Even Henry Winkler, for God's sake. Even yeah. Henry Winkler. <laughs> um, um, well, and, and this is the thing. So I, I don't want to make this a heavy thing. What's mm. weird to me is that, yes, the reason that Sydney is having the strong reaction is because her mother, mother was murdered brutally yeah. one year before. Yeah. 
But the fact that nobody else apparently at this school is having an emotional reaction to two people being brutally murdered. I mean, when I was in high school, there were three kids that were killed in a drunk driving accident Mm. in my high school. Mm -hmm. And that high school was wrecked. The whole high school. I didn't know that. I mean, I think I'd seen them, but I didn't really, they weren't friends of mine. They were a couple of years older. The whole high school was wrecked for weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, it was so upsetting. And so these guys are just like the next, and they knew that like Stu, which is again, an important suspicion plant dated Casey for a little while. What are you saying? That I killed her? It would certainly improve your high school kill. Stu was with me last night, okay? Yeah, it was. Ooh. Was that before or after he sliced and diced? And I love Billy is being protective. As the more they joke about this stuff, the more mm-hmm. he is going, hey, guys, you know, right. let's not do it. And we get uh, Jamie Kennedy doing his uh, <laughs> Jerry Lewis impression about putting the, the liver in the mailbox. Did you really put her liver in the mailbox? Because I heard that they found her liver in the mailbox next to her spleen and her pancreas. <laughs> You know, I interviewed Jamie Kennedy a few weeks ago. Oh, and really? I, and I asked him about this. Yeah, we, we talked for about an hour on the deep cut. And I asked him about his character coming back. He's like, I don't know how many times I have to say it. He's dead. He died. He's dead. And yeah. I'm like, all right. But everybody wants you to come back. And he's like, well, maybe if they find a way to kind of do some kind of re- some uh, <laughs> revital, uh, pet cemetery stuff, I right. can come back, which I thought was really funny. But yeah, he is a very, he still has a very soft spot for that movie. Well, I think he's I think he's he is the the linchpin of the film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. because he is the voice through which we get the most of the meta mm-hmm. observance of horror movies thing, mm-hmm. which I which to me, the opening scene and that stuff is my favorite stuff in the movie. Yeah, fair. So Sydney's going home. I like that there's a little hesitation as she checks the mailbox because <laughs> of the liver in the mailbox. Uh, we hear that she's going to go stay at Tatum's that night because her dad's out of town. Uh, she goes upstairs. And this is all of the stuff of every hallway you walk down is creepy, yeah. you know, because of what's going on. And because we know we're in a scary movie. She turns on the news. One of the news reporters is uh, the casting director, by the way. Oh, nice. And we also see Courtney Cox, who is, says this is the most brutal murder, murder since the last brutal murder. Only a year ago, Maureen Prescott, wife and mother, was found raped and murdered not far from this peaceful town square. Sydney turns off the TV, walks through the house, picks up a picture, and we see that the woman that was murdered is her mom. Yeah. Beautiful shot of the sunset. Casey falls asleep on the couch. She wakes up. It's now getting. It's now dark. And Tatum calls and says she's going to be late. And again, the just insensitivity because <laughs> Sydney's a little nervous and she says, It's past seven. Don't worry. Casey and Steve didn't bite it till way after 10. Right. Teenagers, man. Teenagers. <laughs> I'm going to swing by the video store. I was thinking Tom Cruise and all the right moves. You know, if you pause it just right, you can see his penis. Which I don't know if that's true. I've never seen. That's the one Tom Cruise film, one of the few that I've never seen. And I uh, definitely yeah. saw it. 30 years ago. <laughs> I did not pause it looking for his penis. Right on. Tatum, just get in the car. Hello, Sydney. And at first, she thinks it's Randy. I like that thing you're doing with your voice, Randy. It's sexy. What's your favorite scary movie? Oh, come on. You know I don't watch that shit. Why not? Too scared? No. No, it's just, what's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act, who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. That's a little bit of a shot. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if I was Jamie Lee Curtis, if I was Heather Langenkamp, if I was any one of these film, these actresses who have been the leads in these films, 
I'd be a little bit pissed. I mean, I see the Friday Thirteenth people maybe, but I'd still be a little bit pissed about the can't act part. Yeah, of that. yeah, because Jamie can act, so can Langan. Can Jamie's great? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, but I mean, I think we can say that there are maybe not the most stellar performances <laughs> Fair. in general in some of these movies. That's a good point. Well, sure. and and her point about the, the you know the big pressed actress is like. TNA is part of these movies. It yeah. is it is it is a critical part of them. Yeah, agreed. She asks, where are you? He says the front porch. Why would you be calling from my front porch? That's the original part. Oh yeah? Well, I call your bluff. And she unchanged the door. She heads outside, and we're going, no, don't <laughs> go outside. And what's interesting is, of course, one of the things that gets planted the first time we meet her is that she is a virgin. And, of course, yeah. one of the important rules of horror films is that <laughs> virgins don't get killed. Can you see me right now? Ah, uh, okay. What am I doing? She starts picking her nose. <laughs> <laughs> nice try, Randy. Tell Tatum to hurry up, okay? Bye now. If you hang up on me, you'll die just like your mother. Boy, that's a turn. I know, right? That's a rough, rough turn. And I think the reason he turns on Sydney so quickly is because Sydney is more gutsy. Whereas, yeah. whereas uh, Drew Barrymore's character at the beginning is a lot more gullible, a lot more willing to be playful and flirty. Sydney is not. And so he's got to go for the jugular quick, so to speak, figuratively. I've not always been the hugest fan of Nev Campbell. I think mm. she's really good in this role. Damn right she is. I think she's really good. There was a certain style. We watched, Karen and I watched Party of Five mm. for several seasons. There have been several shows where I went a couple of seasons and then went, okay, I'm out. <laughs> but things get too, <laughs> soap, too soap opera. And there was a certain kind of mid-90s, part, what I would call Party of Five acting, yeah. where everybody's just so full of emotion all the time. And oh, they're yeah. always holding something back. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> it's not my style of acting she goes back inside she locks the door with the chain and then out comes Ghostface. and man sydney can fight oh yeah she moves great she's a scrapper man but he slams her head into the into the floor she gets away from him runs up the stairs goes into the bedroom uses the closet door to yes. brace the door yes. he can't get through she tries to call 911 the phone is dead and then in some very advanced technology, apparently she can like message 911 <laughs> on her computer. I didn't know this was possible back then. Now in 96, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> um, and then moments later, there's Billy. Billy! Door's locked. I heard screaming. You all right? <laughs> the killer's here. He's in the house. That's the moment. That's the moment, right? And that's that's where I think sometimes I think this film suffers a little bit. Like when that moment happened, I'm like, that's totally him. There's no way it's not Billy, right? There's no way it's not Billy. And they do try to push away from it, but and we'll see in a few uh, a couple minutes what happens here. But that's the moment I know it's like it's Billy. Well, here's what the, here's what they're doing on purpose, and whether or not it works is an interesting question. Yeah. Um, and I can't go back and re-see the movie for the first time. But their idea is that in classic horror movie structure, it is never the first person you suspect. Yeah, that's true. So they purposely make Billy the absolutely, oh, God, it's Billy, right. first person, so that people who are horror movie savvy will go, ah, oh, it can't be Billy. Right. But as he's embracing her, his cell phone falls. And this, by the way, this is early days on cell phones. And yeah. so the idea of someone using a cell phone as part of their way of murdering people that's inventive and exciting in 1996. Yeah. Not so much 25 years later. <laughs> and her backing up and her moment of realization is great. Yeah. 
runs away. He chases after her. She gets to the door, opens the door, and there is Ghostface. (laughs) And it's actually just for some reason, David Arquette holding up the mask. (laughs) And we cut to Billy getting arrested. All right, hold your hands. Do you wish to give up your right to remain silent? I didn't do anything. Uh, Rose McGowan drives up. The news van shows up with Courtney Cox and uh, Kenny. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and she yells at Kenny to grab his camera and hurry. And then she goes up to Sydney and is trying to ask questions. I heard something about a costume. Is that true? Can you tell me anything? Yeah, you're a real pain in the ass. <laughs> and then in a character defining moment, Courtney Cox, Gail turns to Kenny and says, Look, Kenny. Yeah. I know that you're about 50 pounds overweight. But when I say hurry, please interpret that as move your Top of Lord ass now. So the actor is W. Earl Brown. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a uh, what's his face from Deadwood. Yeah. Oh right, he uh, uh, had lost just lost a whole bunch of weight before he got this part, <laughs> and then he had to put twenty pounds back on. <laughs> I I I will say yeah. I don't have a pro- problem necessarily. Even though I am a fat person, I don't have a problem with a fat joke per se. Mm. The lack of inventiveness of how they handle his character to me is just not that great. That's fair. Um, what's his, 95, right? Is that what 96, yeah. 96, sorry, 96. So, you know, we were making these kinds of jokes, you know, as a fat person myself, we were making these kinds, of, they were making these kinds of jokes in movies for a while. But yeah, watching it in 2021, I was like, ooh. But then I'm like, well, but you're not supposed to like her. So. Oh, no, that's. But I don't have a problem with this line. I should, right. I should, maybe I should have said this at a different time. Uh-huh. I don't have a problem with this line. She's a bitch. That's yeah, what yeah, that's yeah. that is what they are establishing. Right. Courtney Cox was excited. Literally, her words are, "I am so excited to get to play a bitch for the first time in my career." <laughs> that is how she felt about this part. Right, right. No, that's not my problem. My problem is is that throughout the whole movie, every time we cut to him, he's eating a bag of chips. He's oh, eating yeah. something else, and yeah, I'm just yeah. like, that's so not inventive. It's stereotypical. Yeah, that's a great point. Do you right remember the that. scene in in Roxanne, the the Steve Martin series yeah. of the Bergerac, yeah, 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 where yeah. a guy makes a joke about his big nose, right. and he goes, "That's not even a good joke. I can right. do something better." And he ends up having to do twenty better big nose jokes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes, which is in the original play, and it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and so I'm like, "Look, if you're gonna make some fat jokes, that's make fair. A, make better jokes. Yeah. You know, that's my feeling about it." We're at the police station, and the first thing we find out, can't find Dad. Dad had said he was staying at the Hilton at the airport. They called the Hilton at the airport. Dad's not there. Mm-hmm. That makes him another suspect. <laughs> now dad is a suspect. And they have her doing her interview with the cops right across from where Billy can plainly see her. Sydney said you crawled through a window last night, too. You went out last night? I was watching TV. I got bored. I decided to go for a ride. Did you happen to ride by Casey Becker's house? No. No, I didn't. Sheriff, I didn't kill anybody. We're outside with Courtney Cox, and this is what I mean. The first thing Kenny says is, Are there any more donuts in there? Like, that's just every moment with him starts with a food thing. That's true. Um, Billy tries to get Sydney's attention. By the way, uh, Billy's name is Billy Loomis, and the reason he is Billy Loomis is it's Donald Pleasance's character in Halloween. Yeah, exactly. You think he did it? 20 years ago, I would have said not a chance. But these kids today... Damn if I know. <laughs> and this is that theme that kids have become more hard edged, more cynical uh, in the 90s. Every generation thinks that. Every yeah. fucking generation thinks the, the new kids are the ones who are more harder, more cynical, blah, blah, blah. 
wonder. I don't think that about the current generation. You don't think so? They're more cynical. They're more well, the kid. Like desensitized. I'm dealing, with, ten, I'm dealing with ten year olds. Maybe desensitized. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Where Sydney's going to go home, and Dewey is going to take Tatum and Sydney out the back way. Courtney Cox at that moment says, "Look, there are all these reporters at the front. Let's go find the back." And of course, they run into each other. So, how's the book? Well, it'll be out later this year. Oh, I'll look for it. I'll send you a copy. And when yeah. she says, "I'll send you a copy," man, Nev Campbell hauls off and punches Courtney Cox. It's a great looking punch. Yep. Oh! Right hook, uh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're doing that movie on the cinephiles. <laughs> no, but really, so here's weird things that happen in movies. So uh W. Earl Brown, Kenny, yeah, Wes Craven said, Courtney Cox is gonna go down. It is your job to catch her. If you don't catch her, this actress who's on a hit TV show is gonna hit the concrete and get hurt. You must catch her. So he was ready on the punch to catch her, and he caught her, and accidentally, his left hand caught her by her left breast. Oh, crap. Whoops. <laughs> well, and now he's like, I can't let go. Right, because I can't have her fall to the ground. Well, yeah, and it's like, it's on camera, and so it's just like, just had to hold on, because <laughs> sometimes weird stuff happens when you're acting. God, I loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam, bitch went down. Telephone, honey. Who is it? Said. And it's the voice. Hello, Sydney. No. And this proves that it couldn't have been Billy, because Billy, we know, is in jail. Looks like you fingered the wrong guy Wait. again. So we're keep planting, okay? Her mom was murdered. Gail Weathers, Courtney Cox is writing a book about it. She's angry about the book. And now we hear you fingered the wrong guy again. Mm-hmm. And the voice has claimed to be the one that killed mom. Mm -hmm. Then Dewey comes out moments after the person hangs up because Dewey too is a suspect. Yeah. Although not really much of one. (laughs) I'm not too worried about David Arquette, but, (laughs) and then on a news story, the next morning we hear a little bit more that Sydney Prescott, who escaped a vicious attack is the daughter of Maureen Prescott. And that cotton weary is on a death sentence. He's on death row. And that is Liev Schreiber. Yes, that was good. This is his only thing in the movies being in yeah. the, it's so funny. It's, this this movie's a who's who of Absolutely. young actors coming up, yeah. And the other thing we find out is that Billy's cellular record was clean. Mm-hmm. So he's being released. Yeah. Sydney goes and goes back to talk to Gail. Your mother's murder was last year's hottest court case. Somebody was going to write a book about it. Right, and it had to be you with all your lies and bullshit theories. What is your problem? You got what you wanted. Cotton Weary's in jail. They're going to gas him. A book is not going to change that. And the big thing is that Gail believes that Cotton Weary didn't commit the murder. He butchered her. Her blood was all over his coat. He was drunk that night. He left his coat at your house after your mother seduced him. I saw him leave wearing it. No, you saw someone leave wearing that coat. And the other thing we hear is that was her testimony that got Cotton Weary the death penalty. Cotton murdered my mother. You're not so sure anymore, are you? And this is also a key to the movie is we don't know what's real. Yeah. You know, we don't know who to suspect. Right. And Sydney not knowing who to suspect. Yeah. And then this is a classic good character moment is Sydney walks away and Courtney Cox goes, oh, my God, this is amazing. If I'm right about this, I could save a man's life. 
And Kenny gives a big smile because he goes, oh, this horrible boss that I'm working with, maybe she is a good person. <laughs> and the next line is, do you know what that could do for my book sales? <laughs> By the way, I do want to say something, and maybe I'll get in trouble for this, but this is not that far out of the wrong possibility, male or female. Let me just put that out. Having worked in a news station myself for two years in the late 90s, it's not out of the realm of possibility that uh, there are reporters like this. And I bet many of, course. of the guys who are cameramen uh, and camera women, because they, that did come around in the 2000s, could tell you oodles and oodles of stories of how vapid some of these reporters are, even in the smallest markets you could possibly think of. So. Are you saying that there are people <laughs> working in the media who are self-interested or yeah. don't actually care about doing the right thing? Is but, that... they, but they always want to be, you know, they always want to come off sanctimonious about their, their, <laughs> their profession. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no comment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well said. We're in the school. We talk a little bit about Billy and right as they're talking next to their lockers, comes running through the hallway a ghost guy dressed in the costume yeah that's really not again this is th these are horrible people Poor in taste. this school yeah. yeah and then sydney literally runs into billy John. Oh, oh, ah. Jesus, shoot. It's just me. whoa 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 you still think it's me no no i, I don't it's just somebody was there hey, Someone, someone tried to kill me. I know, me. I know. No, the cops said I scared him away. You know, it wasn't me, Sid. I know. He called me again last night at Tatum's house. You see? Couldn't have been me. I was in jail. Remember? And he holds up his fingers that you can see he was fingerprinted. Mm-hmm. I like that moment. I'm so sorry. Please understand. Understand what? When I have a girlfriend who would rather accuse me of being a psychopathic killer than touch me. Oh God! Yeah, I, yeah, it, it 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 comes off even way worse twenty five years later. Yeah, it reeks of I'm guilty as fuck. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, wait, you're gonna use the attempted murder <laughs> of your girlfriend yeah. to pressure her for sex? Is that your <laughs> that's your move now, dude? Just like reporters, men have been shameless for decades. So yeah. <laughs> and then he says, basically, he says, "My mom left my dad. You know, you just got to move on." <laughs> comparing his his parents divorce <sighs> to her par the brutal murder of her mother yeah if you go back and rewatch this film through the prism of knowing it's stew um and billy like it's it's interesting to look at these interactions because for him to make that comparison is a betrayal of how little he believes uh her loss is uh, or how yeah how comparable he believes her loss is to his because that's what motivates him to go after her because he feels like he was he eventually had his mom murdered on him by her having the affair with Sydney's dad. Well, and, and this is I it's don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I I'm curious how people who really love this movie feel like mm. and who've watched it many times. For me, like one of the great tests is when you have a big twist and you go back and watch the movie again. Yeah. Does everything get better? Does everything fit? Mm. And I don't think it all does. No. You know, I like agree. in this moment where he makes this comparison and then she leaves really upset and says, I am sorry if my traumatized life is an inconvenience to you and your perfect existence. And she goes away and then he says, oh, stupid, stupid and hits his head. 
Right. Well, the stupid, stupid moment makes perfect sense for a guy struggling in his relationship with his girlfriend. But I don't think it makes perfect sense for a psychopathic killer who just tried to kill his girlfriend and is just messing with her. Right. You know what right. I mean? Because yeah. that because that moment is a private moment. Right. You know, and in private moments, we behave more in line with the truth. Right. And it's a why would you use a if it's a private moment, the audience is being treated to, is being led down this path. But of through a through an unbelievable moment. Yes. The character would not. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. Because at the end, you don't prove that he's too per, a split personality. He's yeah. literally doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Henry Winkler <laughs> balling oh. out these two idiots who wore the costume. Hilarious. <laughs> Make me so sick. Your entire habit-inducing, thieving, whoring generation disgusts me. It's so funny hearing angry Henry Winkler. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on, Mr. Hembry. It was just a joke. That's not fair. You're absolutely right. It is not fair. Fairness would be to rip your insides out, hang you from a tree so we can expose you for the heartless, desensitized little shits that you are. He's interesting with those scissors, though, isn't he? Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and by the way, those are sharp scissors. Yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not prop scissors. <laughs> um, one of the things that the Santa Rosa school board didn't like was that how could a principal call his students pieces of shit? <laughs> it's a movie! Well, and, uh, I, I, you know, there's the moment in, um, in Ted Lasso where uh, Roy Kent is talking to the kindergarten teacher. Yes, yes. And she says all sorts of horrible things about her students and swears about them because that's how people actually are. (laughs) You don't think that principals and teachers go home and tell their spouses about the piece of shit they have to teach in school today. Absolutely. And the teacher cusses as soon as Roy leaves the room. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's also this play with the scissors is what's supposed to make us suspect Henry Winkler. Mm -hmm. Sydney goes to the bathroom and as she is there looking at the mirror, she hears from the stalls, Two women talking about her. Yeah. They almost cut this out of the movie. It's not essential to the movie. So they could have cut it out of the movie. Well, and the and, and Cindy goes to hide, and then this cheerleader and her friend come out. Yeah. The level of horribleness that they speak, I know that teenagers can be horrible. Yes. But it is like, it's so over the top. I just don't, this is such a mean, I don't know. Mean girls? It is mean girls, yes. <laughs> Maybe she's a slut, just like her mother. But it certainly works, A, in giving us some exposition, more exposition about mom's death. That's true. And B, being super hurtful to Sydney, who listens to them say, Her mother's death leaves her disturbed and hostile in a cruel and inhumane world. She's delusional. Where's God, etc. Completely suicidal. One day she snaps. She wants to kill herself. But she realizes that teen suicide is out this year, and homicide is a much healthier therapeutic expression. Thanks. Yeah, she's a, <laughs> she's a piece of work, this cheerleader. Yeah. Um, and they head out. Sydney comes out of the stall, sad. She's looking in the mirror, and then she hears something. Just this tiny whisper, and she looks around. She looks under the stalls. She looks up at the vent, looks under the stalls again nothing again we're at a dutch angle which means things are going to get scarier and then we see what i think is a gorgeous shot of the boot coming down into frame followed by the cloak kind of lowering into frame and out comes Ghostface from the stall and she runs it does a beautiful slide under his arms and gets away Mm. sydney's cool yeah she's she's quick yeah and i like her like she's one of the elements of the movie that i totally like yeah Gail Weathers, field correspondent, top story. I know who you are, Miss Weathers. 
Is there a problem on campus? No, everything's under control. Well, of course, you're here. And this relationship, I th- I have two simultaneous thoughts about it. Okay. Because we're going to set up this flirty relationship that it they are going to be attracted to each other. Right. In this scene, I felt like, oh, she's totally using and manipulating yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it go and they've set her up as being a mean, nasty person. Mm-hmm. So when it becomes actually romantic, I kind of don't. I it doesn't. It's really weird. Yeah. For me, you know, but I do like the lines where she says, "You look awfully young to be a police officer." I'm 25 years old. You know, in a demographic study, I proved to be most popular amongst males 11 to 24. I guess I just missed you. <laughs> she also makes comments about his big upper body and his muscles. Yeah. <laughs> which is remnants from the script when he auditioned for it that they didn't take out. They just left in, even though David Arquette is anything but a big <laughs> yeah. bodybuilder. It's true. And then he says to her at the end of the scene. If I may say so, Miss Weathers, you are much prettier in person. So you do watch the show. I'm 25. I was 24 for a whole year. <laughs> I just think he's really cute. Yeah, agreed. The whole school is now dismissed. Kizu, kiss Kizu, he's, he's out. Darling, I don't know what you did, Sydney, but on behalf of the entire student body, we all say thank you. We're going to have a big party tonight to celebrate the curfew. He picks up, <laughs> Stu picks up Rose McGowan because that's his girlfriend or mm. Tatum is his girlfriend. And then as they're heading out and we've agreed we're going to have a party, we go back to Henry Winkler trying on the mask. Mm. Another moment of going, wait, could it possibly be him? And then we have a long setup of him looking around. All of the scares are there. You close the door. You have the scare. You have the mirror scare. You have all of the classic moves. And then Henry Winkler walks out into the hallway (laughs) and there he sees... Dressed in the original Freddy Krueger costume <laughs> and Wes Craven as a janitor. I No, I didn't know that was Wes Craven until uh, you just said it now. So I, I, oh. I in, that, in that moment, I was like, that's oh, some, some old janitor dude. They got to actor to play the part and he's wearing the Freddy Krueger suit, which is a nice little homage. Wouldn't you know it, Wes give, giving himself some props uh, in his own film. And then, I, and then when you just said it now, I'm like, oh. I had no idea. He, put, he gave himself even more props by putting himself in his own film, playing his own character that he made famous. So shout out to Wes Craven. Nice little tongue-in-cheek moment. And which ends with Ghostface finally appearing and stabbing Henry Winkler multiple times <laughs> and killing him. Two things about this. Yeah. This came about because Bob Weinstein said, we've gone way too long without a murder. You got to kill someone in the middle of the movie, <laughs> which I actually think is correct. That's a good, that's a good note. Good note. Here's the other thing. I, apparently they maybe they did a couple takes and Wes Craven wasn't happy with uh, Henry Winkler's death performance. Yeah. So he goes up to him. He says, hey, I got a question for you, Henry. Do you think getting stabbed hurts? And Henry said, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've i never been stabbed, but probably. Yeah. <laughs> and Wes says, do you think it might be excruciating? And he goes, well, again, I haven't been stabbed, but I say there's a chance it's excruciating. He's like, do you think maybe you could, I don't know, scream? <laughs> and that's how we get that performance. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> By the way, the, the reflection in the eye where you see ghost faces in the eye, that's an optical. Oh. And that also is Bob Weinstein's idea. Yeah. It is, a, you know, I was going to make the weirdest reference. Remember when we talked about the Civil War and we talked and we talked about this in other films sometimes where it's sometimes hard 
when there are admirable qualities in the bad guys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Weinsteins made a lot of really good movies. They did. They did. You know. They also didn't pay their bills. They also sexually assaulted women. They also yep. so They're it's like bad guys. You know, the, the the trains ran on time in in Nazi Germany. There you go. You know, there I mean, it's go. like who gives a shit? It's just like if you're a terrible person, I don't give a fuck what you create. You know. Well, I I I don't like not acknowledging reality. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like exactly, yeah. they're good. They make good movies. Yeah, and the, and the trains did run on time. Right, that's true. Um. All right. <laughs> Enough about that. <laughs> so. Tatum and Sid are sitting on the porch talking and they're talking about mom. If they were having an affair, then how come Cotton couldn't prove it in court? Well, you can't prove a rumor. That's why it's a rumor. Right. Created by that little tabloid twit, Gail Weathers. It goes further back, Sid. There's been talk. Which, which is really weird that, like, wow, the rumors of this woman's affairs are, like, so all over the town. Well, it's a small town, I guess. I guess. Yeah. And she says, and you believe it. And her response of why she believes the rumors is... I mean, you can only hear that Richard Gere gerbil story so many times before you have to start believing it. Apparently, they caught a lot of... Kevin Williamson caught a lot of flack for that line. I think so, too, because that's, like, what the fuck? It seems unfair because... It's like, oh, it's cool. You can make fun of Richard Gere, but no one gets to come back at you and make fun of your shit or come at, you know, it was, I, it's, it, it, it's a bit hubris from a punk writer. That's what I would say. I think, I think it's kind of a, you know, it's, you know, the difference is, is that he's an outsider who's never had any success taking shots. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, and now he is an insider. Kevin Williamson became a very successful guy, obviously. Right. right. Um, yeah. That's the kind of thing. And it's also the kind of thing you think is funny as a young writer. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Right, exactly. It's it's a hubris of youth. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I I I understand why he does it, but I also now as an older person, I can be like, this it's bullshit that he did it. Um, uh, and now someone should write a movie making fun of Kevin Williams's personal life. For sure. sure. For sure. You know, if I was wrong about Cotton Weary, then the killer's still out there. <laughs> and Tatum's response is great. Don't go there, Sam. You're starting to sound like some West Carpenter flick or something. <laughs> and as they exit, we see that Ghostface is out in the trees. We're in the video store. Jesus, this place is back tonight, man. We had a run in the mass murder section. Randy sees Billy with some girls standing in the horror section. Yeah. And says, well, that's bad taste. It was just a misunderstanding. He didn't do anything. You're such a little lap dog. He's got killer printed all over his forehead. Why'd the cops let him go, smart guy? Because obviously they don't watch enough movies. This is standard horror movie stuff. And it's through Randy that we get the most yeah. meta sort of stuff of referencing a horror movie within the horror movie. And I like it. I don't understand why his performance is so big and loud and yelling in this mm. scene. Mm. Again, this is where I go. I don't I don't like that style, I guess. Yeah, well, maybe it's just to unsettle you the whole time and keep you yeah. like, uh, plus, like I said, he's hiding in plain sight. So he's mm-hmm. asking all these questions of. Um, yeah. Jamie Kennedy, but maybe just doing it to kind of like, you know, uh, like I said, hide. Uh, and he's doing it loudly so everybody can hear him yep. and see him and whatever. So, yeah. Why would he want to kill his own girlfriend? There's always some stupid bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend. That's the beauty of it all. Simplicity. Besides, if it gets too complicated, you lose your target audience. Which I think is a great line because it's talking about the actual murders as if it is, a, if, if it has an audience. Yeah. 
And I'm just going to say something dark really quickly. I mean, we already referenced Hitler. So um, <laughs> is that there is a lot of in our world today in talking about mass shooters and school shootings and things like that, where they are thinking about an audience. Yeah. That's yeah. not wrong. Yep. Well, what's his reason? Maybe Sydney wouldn't have sex with him. Which, of course, is exactly <laughs> true. Mm-hmm. Part of and it. Then, yeah. And then the next moment... <laughs> what, she's saving herself for you? Maybe. Now that Billy tried to mutilate her, do you think Sid would go out with me? And Stu's laughter and just all over him. <laughs> and we asked, too, why can't they find her dad? Because he's probably dead. His body will come popping up in the last reel somewhere. Because, <laughs> again, we're talking about this real thing as if it's a movie. I think all of this is brilliant. Yeah. I think I think Jamie Kennedy's performance is over the top for me and Stu's performance is over the top for me. But the ideas of it are really brilliant. Agreed. And then just as we're after this, him yelling, everyone's a suspect, uh, which I totally don't believe. He he says, I'm telling you, the dad's a red herring. It's Billy. And at that moment, he runs right into Billy. How do we know you're not the killer? See, and again, this is to your point earlier. Knowing that Stu and Billy are the killers, them Stu leaning on Billy's back, mm-hmm. kind of advancing on Randy, it's obvious. Yeah, these guys are nuts. Yeah, you know, it's true. Um, and and it's really freakish. Maybe your movie freaked mind lost its reality button. You ever think of that? You're absolutely right. I'm the first to admit it. If this were a scary movie, I'd be the prime suspect. What would be your motive? It's the millennium. Motives are incidental. I love that line. Yeah. We see Tatum in, in Sydney in the grocery store, and they're talking about sex, and maybe Billy's right. So you have a few intimacy issues as a result of your mother's untimely death. Yeah, but he has been so patient with me. You know, with all the sex stuff, how many guys will put up with a girlfriend who's sexually anorexic? <laughs> I like Tatum's response, though. Billy and his penis don't serve you, right? <laughs> What's weird to me is that apparently Ghostface is in the grocery store. Oh, yeah, right. The middle of daylight in a store. Yeah. Seems a little public. Uh, the sheriff and David Arquette are talking. The sheriff is smoking cigarettes. Apparently, that actor had quit smoking 10 years before. <laughs> it's kind of brutal. Wes Craven's direction to David Arquette is every time he takes it, because David Arquette is eating ice cream. Yeah. Every time he takes a, a, a drag on the cigarette, you take a look at your ice cream cup. <laughs> which, which I never noticed, but once I noticed, once I heard that, he watched it, it's really funny. <laughs> That's great. The sheriff stops out the cigarette and he is wearing the same boots that we saw in the bathroom. Mm, so right. even the sheriff is a suspect. Yeah. Yeah. Although he isn't because he wouldn't fit in that costume in the same way. <laughs> um, we are heading off to scene 118. Scene 118, which really is a whole bunch of little scenes, but this party is the entire rest of the movie. It's like 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. They spent 21 days, actually 21 nights, filming this thing. This was an actually brutal part of the shoot. Wow. At the end, everyone who worked on the movie got T-shirts that said, I survived scene 118. <laughs> so Dewey, the sheriff's deputy, drops the kids off at the party and says, has fun. This makes no <laughs> sense to me at all. Like... There's literally a killer on the loose and you yeah. think it's and and the and the police force is cool with a whole bunch of kids, you know, yeah. having a having a rager. Also, why would Sydney go? Like that's the part of the other part I was like, why the fuck would she go to a place? And, and somebody might be like, because everyone's there and yeah, so she's safe. Bullshit. 
Bullshit. And of course, the news van pulls out. What brings you to these parts? Well, you just never know when or where a story will break. And they start talking again, kind of flirty. I'm going to take the party out. Do you mind if I join you? Not at all. Let me just get my coat. And Kenny, who's still eating, very smoothly hands her some little device. We don't know what it is. Right. And Dewey comes in with Gail, takes a beer away from a kid and says, you're underage, son. I'm kidding. Have a good time. <laughs> it's totally not believable to yeah. me. Yeah. But I do like David Arquette in this film. Oh, yeah. He's great in the film. And we see that Gail stashes what she has that Kenny gave her as a camera, which she stashes. Yeah. Tatum heads to the garage. There is a shot that young men everywhere have certainly noticed as she enters the garage. Mm. Enough said. Yeah. And again, all the details are good. She accidentally, while reaching for the light, hits the garage door. The garage door starts to go up. And we notice there's a little doggy door in the garage door, right. which apparently like one of the producers or somebody actually had that, which is what gave them the idea to do it this way. Oh, wow. She heads to the fridge, grabbing some beers. The tools fall over that makes her jump. We yeah. see the cat run out the doggy door in case you didn't notice that there was a doggy door there in the first shot. She goes back to the door. It's locked. Hey, shitheads. Hello. She goes, okay. She opens the garage door. The garage door starts opening. She heads towards it. And then the garage door, just as she gets to it, starts to close. She turns and there is Ghostface. Yeah. yeah. And again, we think it's Randy. Is that you, Randy? And to me... <laughs> Like, no, there's actually a crazy, scary killer on the loose. I would be maybe a little more nervous, but Tatum is not. And she starts playing along and says, No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. Then Ghostface grabs her. And the knife comes out. He cuts her arm. And this is where it suddenly becomes real. And, and this is maybe the most of Ghostface being really human. Yeah flips over him into the steps she throw beers bottle at him hits him once in the nuts and once in the face yeah you know it's 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 a little like what do you call it? slapstick and it is this is where the movie starts to kind of lose me a little bit because i'm like this it's so ridiculous i get that they're teenagers but you know if you're supposed to be scared of this person and it looks like they can do flips and whatever you're just like come on man it's ridiculous it it's such a weird choice. Yeah. And I and I get and I get that they went, we want to not be Jason or Michael Myers. We want to, which is the slow moving, unstoppable evil force. Yeah. It, and, and what's interesting too is that to me is Jason and Michael Myers, that's who they are. That right. is all they are. Yeah. Ghostface is a secret identity that other people can inhabit. Mm -hmm. You're putting on the role of the evil serial killer. You're not inherently that. You right, know what I mean? Right. You're right, just right. an ordinary person in a costume. Yeah. Um, here's here's what Wes Craven said about it. And this is some deep philosophy, honestly, <laughs> from Wes Craven. He said he wanted us to stop looking at evil as an external thing and to look internally that we all can be evil. Mm. That was his idea for this. Well, that's fair. That's and fair. I was like, okay. Yeah. And she runs and tries to get through that doggy door and the garage door starts going up and she's trapped halfway in, halfway out. Apparently this was super uncomfortable for Rose McGowan when she was in it. And then there's part of it that's a stunt woman. And this just was, there was no way to make this not excruciatingly painful. Wow. Because, and I get it because like, I'm sure there were some shots where you're only seeing it from the front where they're supporting her legs in the back. Yeah. Or yeah only yeah. seeing it from the back where you're supporting her uh, head and chest in the front. 
But if you see both sides, well, you're just hanging down with all your body weight on a yeah. thin piece of wood. There's yeah. just no way. And if you had to sit there for 20 minutes or a half hour in and out, man, that's going to really hurt. Yeah. And it goes, it goes up and she screams and her head hits the top and kills her. A whole bunch of people are leaving the party. I do not understand why Tatum's body does not get found. <laughs> Well, that's what I'm saying to you. This is where the movie starts to fall apart a little bit. It's in this middle area where you start to go, come on. Oh, come yeah. on. Oh, come on. And not even through 2021 eyes, through 1996 eyes as well. Oh, well, come on. It's like, where is that garage? I mean, right. that, you know, the, is the are they saying that somehow, even though the driveway where the cars are is right in front, that yeah. the garage is somewhere far away on the other side of the house that no one can see? Right. Like, exactly. it's just very strange. Yeah. Um, and that, and frankly, there's a, there's a psycho killer out there and yeah, we said, where's Tatum, but nobody goes to look for Tatum. Like, yeah, exactly. and, but again, this is a horror movie and it is, it is both being and commenting on, this is where I go like this, you know, you know really, this is like, this movie's not for me Yeah. because not being a horror fan, I can't enjoy the things that a horror fan would yeah. enjoy about maybe this right. movie. You yeah, know? maybe you're right. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe um, you're right. But. As people are leaving, who shows up but Billy? Oh, Billy, hey. Billy, hmm, what are you doing here? I was hoping I could talk to Sid alone. I'll tell you what, why don't you guys go up to my parents' room? You know, you guys can talk, whatever. Subtleties, too, you should look it up. No, it's okay, we do need to talk. Do you think that she has already decided to have sex with Billy? Yes, I think a woman usually knows that way ahead of time. I think she has two. I don't find this believable. Okay. I mean, like, he literally was just horribly, horribly insensitive to her mm -hmm. uh, about her mother's death. She's super traumatized. And yes, they had that scene in the grocery store where she talked to that, she described herself as sexually anorexic. But I don't know. It, but yeah. that that is but it's also but this is what the movie the movie is a movie about horror movies yeah and this is the scene that has to happen in the horror movie the killer is out there and two people are going to have sex yeah i think i'm really scared that i'm gonna turn out just like her you know like the bad seed or something what i find interesting about that line mm -hmm. is if the reason that she hasn't had sex with Billy is that she's afraid of turning out like her mom, mm -hmm, what does mm -hmm. that say about who she thinks her mom was? Right, exactly. It betrays that this is why she is so defensive about her mom because she secretly does kind of believe that yeah. her mom did this thing and probably has evidence or has probably seen her mom yeah. have these affairs or whatever. I mean, because it's very curious that her father is leaving on the one-year anniversary of her mom's death. You would think the father would want to be around. You know, so what was the what's the father been doing right. as well? So just a lot of questions. Yeah, and so it's, so what it's it a means fucked is, up family. Man. Yeah, yeah, when Tatum says the thing about there's rumors of other men, yeah, that wasn't the first time that Sid heard that. Right, she knew about those rumors. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's a small town. Yeah, or it's a small little rich area rather. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, it's small town. Hey, but, <laughs> yeah, um, it's like Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs when. She keeps having flashbacks of her dead father. But this is life. This isn't a movie. Again, this next moment is key to the film. Sure it is, Sid. It's all, it's all a movie. It's all one great big movie. You can't pick your genre. 
which I think is a great line. And it says a lot about who Billy's character is. And they start to kiss. Why can't I be a Meg Ryan movie? <laughs> or even a good porno. There we are. Yep. There's, there's yeah, the line. Is. Boom. And we cut from there. This is my other favorite sequence in the film is watching the horror movie and talking about the rules while we see oh, what's yeah. happening elsewhere. I think that is absolutely mm -hmm. brilliant. Ooh, yes! Ooh! Yes! Predictable. I knew he was going to bite it. How can you watch this shit over and over? Breasts. I want to see Jamie Lee's breast. When do yes. we see Jamie yes. Lee's breast? And this, you know, this reference as a young guy who grew up in the 80s of when was Jamie Lee Curtis topless? I knew exactly when it was, <laughs> uh, which is in Trading Places. Absolutely. Jamie Lee was always the virgin in horror movies. She never showed her tits until she went legit. Because only virgins can outsmart the killer. Yeah. And I go, what are you talking about? Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? And this is, it's in the trailer. It is, this is key to the screen movies, key yep. to the whole things. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. No, no. Sex equals death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. <laughs> uh, by, by the way, it's just a quick digression. So they're in Santa Rosa. They're all staying, all the actors staying in a motel together. You can imagine when you have a bunch of young actors all living together at the same motel. Oh, yeah, yeah, That maybe there's a bit of partying going on. Maybe. And, you know, one of the rooms they had built a bar into, and then they've been there for, you know, they shot for over six weeks or something. Mm -hmm. After a while, they're getting kind of tired. And they go, let's go out and find some fun. So all of the actors go out into Santa Rosa, and it's springtime, beginning of June, and they see a bunch of limos. Why would you see limos in June? A whole bunch of them. In Santa Rosa? It doesn't really matter. Oh, uh, prom night, graduation. It's prom night. Prom night, yeah. So they said, let's, oh, it's prom night. Let's follow the limos. Oh so they God. follow the limos to the <laughs> Radisson Hotel, and they party all night with prom goers. <laughs> Which, could you imagine, like, particularly, you know, a lot of these people were unknowns. Yeah. Is yeah. that you're just like, it's weird. These actors came to my prom, and four months later, Scream comes out. Yeah. You know, and you partied at your prom with the stars of that movie. <laughs> Three, never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Oh! We're back in the news van. We're seeing the 30-second delay. The sheriff just radioed. Somebody reported a car in the bushes down the road. I'm going to go check it out. You care to join me? I'd love to. I think Courtney Cox looks absolutely beautiful in this. Oh movie. yeah, she. I mean, she's beautiful, and and you know, she's taken crap for being with David Arquette for such a long time. But like, when you watch this movie, they have such easy chemistry with each other. They're great. Yeah, and Arquette's playing a character. Arquette isn't a Arquette isn't Dewey. He's playing a character, and yeah. so he's deceptively more intelligent than people think, and he's more. Uh, well-rounded than people think. So seeing them together in this movie, it makes so much sense that they got together. I think there is so much chemistry between them. Mm. It's so, and, and but this is why it's also like, that it doesn't, it totally doesn't make sense for the character that they established at the, mm. as the cynical person who, oh, that person, Gail Weathers, that we met would not fall for Dewey. Maybe. I mean, because, and I hear you, Steve, but also like she's still trying to make her name. And she's still trying to do her things. 
But you never see her do anything overtly evil. And in the no, end, that's true. That's true. And in the no, end, she's a hero. Right. Yeah. And she's yeah. right about uh, Sydney's uh, fingering the wrong person. That is so, all true. Right. So yeah. I think she would fall for Dewey or have an attraction to Dewey, maybe because he's this one innocent person who she can't use to get a story from because she doesn't. And she doesn't use him in the end. Uh, or, you know, maybe because, you know, he's one guy who kind of feels innocent in her world of uh, cynicism. I don't know. That's and then know. we go up to Sid and Billy. They're on the bed. They're fooling around. Of course, we just heard you can't have sex in a horror movie. <laughs> we yes. go downstairs to hear about the obligatory tit shot, which is there actually the movie they're watching is Halloween, by the way, right. well, reviewed no by shot. the cinephiles a couple of years ago. Yes. Well, there's um, no boob shot, Jamie Lee. Yeah. Um, no, but there is of the this other woman. Yes. And we don't see it because they Wes Craven actually wanted to tease the audience with this. <laughs> and then we cut from that. And again, this is where the movie's totally working to Nev Campbell in her bra taking off her bra bla- again, but we don't see it. Yeah. And then we're withholding that from the audience. And this is happening in parallel. I think this is brilliant filmmaking, mm-hmm. you know, to me. I think this is super cool. And then the phone rings. And Randy answers it and stands up because he just found out that the principal is dead. He was gutted and hung from the goalpost on the football field. And all the kids go, let's go see it before they tear him down. They have no emotions at all. These are the worst people in the world. Yeah. (laughs) And they all head out, leaving Randy alone because he wants to watch the movie. Dewey and Gail are having a lovely sort of romantic flirting talk. And just as they're getting closer and closer, we see the cars speeding <laughs> towards them. They're standing in the middle of the road. Dewey yells, stop. And the cars are coming. The kids were literally going to kill yeah. the deputy. It's a little respect supporter. he has, Dewey. Yeah. I mean, like, they're, 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 like, rushing. They're so excited about seeing the dead body of their principal that they're willing <laughs> to kill two people to get there faster. <laughs> and Dewey lands on top of her, and she kisses him. Yeah. And then we see the car, and it's dad's car. Right. This is going, oh, dad could be the killer. But we're also remembering what Randy said about dad being a red herring. Again, I think this is really good. Mm -hmm. By the way, somewhere near the end of the film, during shooting this scene, the cinematographer, Mark Irwin, was fired. Wow. Yeah. And here's what happened. Uh, I I should say, I don't really know what happened. Here's what I, the little that I know, is that, in the dailies, there were some shots that were out of focus. I don't know if that was three shots out of focus. I don't know if that was 50 shots out of focus. Yikes. Uh-huh. I, and I don't know if this is Wes Craven. This is the line producer. This is Bob Weinstein. Someone. Mm. And so they say, you got to fire your crew. And again, I don't know if it was fire the first AC or fire the whole crew or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Mark Irwin basically said, if they go, I go. And they said, you go. <laughs> Bye-bye. Yeah, so they fired him. Wow. Uh, and they brought in Peter Dimming, who finished the rest of the movie. Can you tell that there's a noticeable difference? No. Yeah, I can could I. I mean, I don't have the greatest eye for cinematography, but no, I can't tell. Yeah, I can't um, tell. But I also don't know, because, you know, they don't shoot movies in order. So yeah, I don't know true. what part, you know, um, you know, he saw. It's a good point, I mean, What part he shot. Yeah, it's a good point. Who'd you call? What? Well, I don't know. When you're arrested, you're allowed one phone call. So I was just curious. Who'd you call? And Billy lies. Called my dad. No, um, Sheriff Burke called your dad. I saw him. 
And she goes, well, I was just thinking it would be a good way to throw me off track if he used his one phone call <laughs> to call her to scare her. Mm-hmm. What do I have to do to prove to you that I'm not a killer? And what's cool about this moment as he says this and kind of leans in mm-hmm. is it is scary. Yeah, there's yeah, a, yeah. It's, it's, it's has, it manages to have, I think Skeet Ulrich does a really good job because it manages to have both some scariness to it and yeah. some, I can't believe you don't trust me to it at the same time. Right. You know? Right. And at that moment, Sydney says, Oh my God, because there is Ghostface right behind him, stabs Billy multiple <laughs> times. He turns covered in blood. Yeah. Says her name and dies. Yeah. Because he just had sex. That was the exactly right. The, the rule. But also it's a dead giveaway when you don't see the person getting stabbed from behind. Like it's just a dead giveaway that 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 they were in on something. It, it just is obvious when you're watching. Yeah. Well, and the way the blood looks on it doesn't look yeah, right, you know. Right, exactly. She runs, she blocks the door with a surfboard, she goes out the window, she slips on the roof, she's holding on, and then a hand comes out and grabs her. She manages to get away and then falls from the roof onto the back of a boat. Which looks brutal, and just as she rolls off the boat, she looks up and sees dead Tatum. <laughs> Finally, somebody saw her. Back in the living room, Randy is talking the, to the TV because Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween will not look behind her. Jamie, look behind you. Look behind you. Turn around. The whole time Ghostface is behind him with a knife. <laughs> What's great is then we cut to Kenny, who is now asleep with a bag of chips. Yeah. Sidge th- shows up at the van mm-hmm. and they're looking at the video with Randy right. and the ghost face behind him and goes, Oh no, we're on a 30 second delay and realizes that that happened a while ago. And in that moment he turns around, there's ghost face, his throat gets slit. Another yeah. guy gets killed. <laughs> There's another MPA thing they had to cut down. Um, Cause apparently it was a lot bloodier. Then Sydney gets stabbed at the van and she runs into the van, crawls through the back. It's kind of like Tate crawling through that doggy door, I thought. Yeah. Gail and Dewey are running up. Is there a phone in the van? Yeah. Lock yourself in it. Call the sheriff for backup. He runs into the house and he hears screaming because Jimmy the Curtis is screaming. Right. It's right. on the TV. Right. Uh, Gail is calling for Kenny and then looks down and realizes she's standing in a pool of blood. <laughs> By the way, Courtney Cox had never done anything like this. And it's a lot of Wes Craven on a walkie telling her what to do, which we've Uh heard about lots of times, you know, a director talking an actor through a bunch of movements. She gets into the car, dials 911. Randy walks up, tries to talk to her. She hits him with the phone, starts the car, hits the windshield wipers because something's blocking the, the glass. And we see that it's covered in blood. Yeah. She backs up the van and slams on the brakes, and Kenny's face falls forward onto the windshield. (laughs) By the way, if you back up quickly, slam on the brakes, the body would fly backwards, not (laughs) forwards. That's okay. Um, And then she hits the gas, and apparently this was really the actor on the van. He was attached by his ankle. They didn't really rehearse it. The stunt woman driving the van drove way too fast, and he did fly off the van. Wow. She swerves to avoid Sid, goes flying down the road, and slams into a tree. That was a mistake. Oh, wow. They were trying to flip the van. Huh. The van didn't flip, and it just accidentally slammed into a tree. Wow. Fortunately, the stunt driver was in, you know, an eight-point harness (laughs) and was fine, 
And they went, yeah, that looked good too. So, <laughs> but, they, but that's a crazy stunt gone wrong. Uh, and Sydney runs back to the house and Dewey comes out with a knife in his back mm. and goes down. Yeah. They just, he was supposed to die. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was supposed to, this is supposed to be the end to him. And what they did, they realized how great his character was. Yeah. And so on the very last day of shooting, one of the last things they shot was the shot of Dewey being brought to the ambulance. Because they suddenly went, oh, we can't kill this guy. Right, right. And Sid runs away from the house now to the cop car, gets in the cop car, tries to lock the door, locks the other door, looks for the keys, but there's Ghostface outside with the keys. And she's trying to lock the doors, and he's opening the doors. Mm. But Sydney's tough, man, and she fights her way out. She's got a gun now from the cop car, or from, uh, from Dewey. And as she gets to the house with the gun, there are Stu and Randy, each one saying... That the other one did it. He did it. He did it, Sidney. Now, do we know at this point that it's Stu? I don't think so yet. But- well, because but we saw Ghostface behind Randy. Right, right, right. So if we didn't know that Ghostface was actually two people, yeah, then we would assume that it can't be, it can't be Billy. He's dead. Right. Even though he's not, and it can't be Randy. So the only person left at this point is Stu. Yeah, that's a good point. And he's the one that that you know came back and said. I'll be right back. So since he's the one right. that, you know, is the killer, he's in charge of the rules. Yeah. So, yeah. And they're yelling, he did it, he did it, he did it. And I'm like, she goes, fuck you both. <laughs> it goes inside, locks the door. And I don't understand why Randy isn't dead. He's outside with Stu for a long time. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're not thinking about that because there is bleeding Billy coming down the stairs, falls down the stairs. No, give me the gun. Give me the gun. It's okay. It's okay. I think at this moment, seeing it the first time, I went, uh oh. Yeah. It's him. Uh, Randy comes in and says, Stu flipped out. He's gone mad, which I don't understand what happened outside. That doesn't make sense to me. Right. And Billy with the gun says, We all go a little mad sometimes. And shoots Randy. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony Perkins, psycho. Okay, finally. And then he licks the blood and says, home mm, corn syrup, same stuff they use for pig's blood in Carrie. Yeah. By the way, they use 50 gallons of fake blood in this movie. Wow. She turns and runs right into Stu, and mm. she's begging Stu for help, and he takes out that voice box and says, Surprise, Sydney." <laughs> Tosses the voice box to Billy. What's the matter, Sydney? You look like you've seen a ghost. <laughs> okay. We got it. Two killers. Mm-hmm. Here mm-hmm. they are. You're crazy, both of you. Yeah, you prefer the term psychotic. We'll never get away with this. And Stu leaning over Billy's shoulder is so creepy. And yeah. they're such a weird pair together. Mm-hmm. And they talk about framing Cotton, that they did kill the mother. And she says, why? Yeah, that's Stu. I think she wants a motive. <laughs> I don't really believe in motive, Sid. I mean, did Norman Bates have a motive? No. Did they ever really decide why Hannibal Lecter liked to eat people? Don't think so. See, it's a lot scarier when there's no motive, Sid. But then Billy says, Your slut mother was fucking my father. And she's the reason my mom moved out and abandoned me. How's that for a motive? And Stu has a big reaction to that, because I don't think he ever heard that before. Right. Total abandonment causes serious deviant behavior. Certainly fucked you up. It made you have sex with a psychopath. It's just brutal on so many levels. It really is. 
Here's how this motive, no motive thing came. As Williamson's getting notes from the studio, from Wes, and this is, you know, you've sold your movie to a studio, you're going to get notes from all sorts of different places. Oh, yeah. And those notes don't always agree. So there was one camp of people who said they shouldn't have a motive. You know, let's have no motive. And there was another camp of people who said, well, why are they doing this? You need to give them a motive. Right. And this is the solution, is he both gave them a motive and did the no motive thing, (laughs) which is a brilliant way to deal with contradictory notes. (laughs) And now we hear what their plan is, because Stu goes away and comes up with dad, all tied up and gagged. They've set it up so that your mother's anniversary set him off and he went on a murder spree, killing everyone. Except for Billy and me. We were left for dead. Then he kills you and shoots himself in the head. Perfect ending. And then the next stuff that happens is so damn insane. Yeah. Which is they start stabbing each other <laughs> to make it look like dad attacked them. Uh, so so dudes man dudes (laughs) here's my question i I think this is also a test for the movie okay so if if you're watching this scene and go yes this is amazing then this movie is for you right i watch the scene and go what the fuck (laughs) like (laughs) it's just so bizarre i don't know i'm kind of out i think i'm in the middle where i go this is not that i go yes i go more like this makes so much sense because they're as you said, they're psychopaths, they're idiot kids. So their obsession with mm-hmm. death goes goes to that level where they stab each other like that. And it becomes and you know, and it becomes almost like a one upsmanship because oh, that's yeah. what you would get from young high school punk kids, uh young high school males who would sit there trying to prove uh, who's tougher. And so they keep stabbing each other until eventually Matthew Lillard is the one that has to goes down. <laughs> I feel woozy. You know, he can't stand anymore, which is I, funny. Man. There were certainly some games played when I was young high school kid. Oh, yeah. That yeah. were sort of, I'll punch you in the shoulder. You punch me in the shoulder. Right. Yeah. And yeah. how hard are you going to do it? Are you going to do it that hard? Well, I'm going to do it this hard. Right. And there were some guys I knew who did that a lot. Yes. So I think, yes, this is definitely that. She says, I'm sick for fucks. You've seen one too many movies. Nah, Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. <laughs> That's a fantastic line. Yeah, and it's a truthful line, I think. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> Sadly, and as you said, we've gone a little too far because Matthew Lillard is getting woozy, and you could see like Stu is dripping blood. Yeah, and he's supposed to go get the gun so he can we can finish with this plan and shoot everyone, and the gun's not there. Where the fuck is it? Right here, asshole. And there is Gail. Really the hero of the film yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. With the gun. I've got an ending for you. The reporter left for dead in the news van comes to. Stumbles on you two dipshits. Finds the gun, foils your plan, and saves the day. And Sid says, I like that ending. Billy says, I know something you don't. And the safety's on. Mm-hmm. And he kicks her. Apparently, he kicks her and she falls down on top of Dewey. Apparently, they had to do a ton of takes because Courtney Cox and David Arquette kept giggling. <laughs> and they say, Sid, you're going to love this. And he looks back. No, Sydney. Mm. She's She and dad are gone and the phone rings. I, I, it's so funny. I literally in this movie are am having moments of this is brilliant. I've said this. Yeah. This is brilliant. I love this. I'm totally out. I think this is her calling using the voice box is brilliant. Yeah. I love it. 
I agree. Are you alone in the house? Billy starts to lose it. Bitch! You bitch! Where the fuck are you? Because it's turned around on him. There's, yep. His moment, his plan of revenge is now turned around on him, and he defaults to being a, a, a angry, pouty, whiny kid. So he goes wild and starts tearing stuff up. Yeah. Stu is collapsing because of loss of blood. <laughs> yeah, which I think is great. Matthew Lillard does a great job with this role, man. Again, again in my I, opinion, there's yeah. so yeah, there's so much of what he does that feels over the top, and I don't like. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. And maybe because he's woozy and he's not doesn't have the energy to quite go as far. <laughs> no, but he, he's still going over the top. He's just yeah. going over the top in a way that's uh, in how he's dying. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, and and a, a lot of this is improvised. When she asks about his motive, and he says peer pressure, that's improvised. No, um, I got you. By the way, uh, when Billy is talking on the phone and he throws the phone yeah. and hits Matthew Lillard in the head. That was a mistake. <laughs> so you hit me with the phone. Dick is also improvised. <laughs> Uh, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me is improvised. Yeah. So all that stuff is improvised. And Billy goes to the looking around. Now he's the one looking around for, uh, for Sid. Yeah. And the door that he stops at opens and out comes Ghostface Sydney with an umbrella slams him right in the chest, then slams him again. Here's the thing. Skeet Ulrich, apparently as an infant, I think had open heart surgery. Oh my God. And there is like a wire that's literally sticking out of the center of his chest from the surgery. Oh, that is excruciating if you touch it. He's like fucking Tony Stark, man. Basically. Yikes. And so they padded up his whole chest because he's mm. got to take these shots from the umbrella. Right. And apparently the stunt woman managed to hit him right on that wire on oh. the second shot. So when you see his scream of pain on yeah. the second time he gets hit, <laughs> that's real. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Wow. So he goes down. Now Stu is coming after Sydney and says, I always had a thing for you, Sid. Mm. Also improvised. And she says, in your dreams. Also improvised and drops the TV on his head, <laughs> which is great. He literally is killed by the movie Halloween. Yeah, I think that's great. That's right. But then Randy comes and scares her. Oh, my God, Randy, I thought you were dead. I probably should be. I never thought I'd be so happy to be a virgin. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> and now here comes Billy again with the knife. Yeah. And. And he's choking her, says, say hello to your mother, brings up the knife high. And then Sydney's cool. She yeah. drives a finger into one of his open wounds. He screams and then he gets shot. And there is Gail with the gun. Yeah. Shoots him in the chest, says, I guess I remember the safety that time, you bastard. <laughs> they walk over. They're standing over Billy. And we're all now in the same moment. Yeah. Why are you? So he's going to wake up. He's going to wake up. And of course, they say careful this is the moment when the supposedly dead killer comes back to life for one last scare he does wake up <laughs> she immediately shoots him in the head and says not in my movie <laughs> that's great it's a good that line and here's as we let's stop here this is what's so interesting about this movie steve it's actually a very like all the all the bad people say some pretty unsavory shit about women right and you could maybe yeah. connect that out to Weinstein and whatever and the connective tissue there, like letting that be okay. But this turns out to be a very uh, pro-woman, a pro-feminist, a very feminist movie, I would say, because it is Sidney and Gail who are combining, coming together to defeat all these dudes and yeah. to get out of this situation 
so in the end, it's these two women who are pushing back against the narrative of the scared little women that you see in these horror films. And most of the time, there is one woman who right. kind of wins in the end of these horror films. So it, it fits that cliche. But the way they do it here is much more powerful as opposed to desperate. And I think that's great. Yeah. I, I Well, and this is it is so funny. I literally mm. have gone back and forth between I don't really like this great moment i think this ending is great yeah and, and not in my movie about a movie about horror movies that's a horror movie yeah right is a great way to end and then we cut outside we see doing the ambulance and then we have our final crane shot up as gail the reporter tells the story um and we see and it's beautiful what looks like a beautiful sunrise shot it's actually sunset mm. and that man if you're seeing a shot where the sun is right on the horizon which this is yeah sometime try to figure out how long a sun actually spends on the horizon they had five minutes they did two takes of the shot that's it i mean you have very very little time yeah uh i like that they do the credits with the pictures of the actors i always like that Mm -hmm. nine times back and forth with the mpaa to get the rating they wanted wow the the most difficult scene was the scene with billy and Stu stabbing each other because there's so much blood and they're like if this is encouraging kids violence you know, violence and desensitizing kids and all of this stuff that the MPA is worrying about. Right. And uh, finally, Bob Weinstein goes to the MPA and they pass it. They say, okay. <laughs> and Wes asks him, what did you do? And he says, I told him it was a comedy. <laughs> now, again, as we said at the beginning, I don't know if that's really what happened. Right. I don't know. But I mean, I'm not saying that the MPA is corrupt, but I don't know that Bob Weinstein didn't sit, give him a couple thousand dollars. Now, that's certainly possible as well. Uh, Why wouldn't but, it be? But it went from an NC-17 to an R rating. Right before the end of production, everyone has their scary movie T-shirts, and Bob Weinstein says, you're changing the title to Scream. And everyone hated it. Oh, wow. Hated it. Wow. And now, of course, they go, yeah, it, it, clearly it worked. Yeah, yeah. It was also Bob Weinstein's idea to release the movie at Christmas. No one <laughs> had ever released a horror movie at Christmas and he his reasoning was, look, everyone's going all there are all these wholesome movies in the theater. What are the teenagers going to go see? Yeah, they're all going to want to see this. So they released it. It got relatively average to bad reviews. It made six million dollars on a 15 million dollar budget in the opening weekend. They went, oh, I guess that's it. it didn't yeah. work. Second weekend, it made six million dollars. Exactly the same. No fall off, which is pretty good so rare so rare yeah third weekend it made 10 million dollars wow and it kept going up and up and up it made 103 million dollars u.s on its initial release that was the highest grossing horror movie of all time at that point (laughs) it's been beaten since then um it won the best film at the mtv music awards that it did um or movie awards um and they apparently went right into making the sequel like <laughs> immediately. Yeah. And it started a whole revival of the slasher films up until Blair Witch, which I think is there's sort of an interesting evolution of of this a horror this kind of horror movie works for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Then it ceases to work and then a new thing has to come in. So the slasher movie had ceased to work so now you have sort of the meta self-aware slasher movie. Right. And that goes for a little while and then you have the total grassroots paranormal activity Blair Witch yeah, thing. found footage or found stuff. footage yeah. of a horror movie and yeah. then that only at a certain point people are totally sick of that yeah and then it becomes something else yeah that's what you get now with Baba Duke the witch and hereditary yeah. 
it's a exploration of more of a deeper horror that psychological horror that exists. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I will give my final thoughts first. Sure. I feel like I've pretty much given them. <laughs> I acknowledge the brilliant things in this film. Yeah. I acknowledge many, many great scenes. <laughs> I don't like the vast majority of the characters in this movie. I don't like the completely desensitized, cynical teenagers. Mm -hmm. And yet I, you know, there are brilliant, brilliant moments that I absolutely love. How about you? Yeah, I will say this. I absolutely, having seen it again for the first time in a very long time, I have a bigger understanding of why people revere this film as much as they do. It's not a throwaway horror film as you might be no. tempted to think from a film in the 90s. It actually has much more resonance and you can just put this in any decade and the lines and the words and the uh, situations could apply on so many levels to uh, what's going on in whatever decade or generation that you're in. Uh, and I enjoy the the meta approach to horror as well. Horror is one of these genres that you can mess around with and have jokes and have comedy and have these funny moments or jump scares and all of that. But in the end, you can still have the stakes. And this film still has the stakes with all the nuttiness around it at times. It still has the stakes and a powerful ending at the end with both um, both the ladies taking care of business there and winning. And right. so that's that's a great thing. So the fact that they went into a sequel, no surprise at all. And I think there's a lot more of a comment on society, a comment on kids, a comment on false allegations. I mean, that too as well sure. is kind of a subtle. So there's a lot going on here that they're tackling and those lines that are a little on the nose about violence in movies and what have you. So this is a deceptively um, more intelligent film than people might give it credit for on its surface. And the fact that it kept going, and I'll say this, Weinstein was smart, Bob Weinstein was smart to drop it at Christmas because all these kids are out of school yep. and they're home. And yep. that's how you get motivated to go see this movie. Oh, my parents want to go see this family film. Shit, what can I sneak out at night and go see with my friends? Let's go see Scream. And that's word of mouth that spread. So brilliant decision to do that. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. Great stuff. Um, well, and like most of these movies, mm -hmm. the first one's a big hit. Many people like the second one. We have mm -hmm. diminishing returns. We have, And now we have it coming back again. Yeah. yeah. And I watched the trailer. It seemed very much in the realm of scream yeah you know to me yeah. it didn't Whether seem not that a, different yeah yeah i don't know if it'll be good but it seems definitely in that area so that mm -hmm. is what we think of scream we hope you enjoyed our tour down into scary movies <laughs> uh, of course we'd love to hear what you think and maybe you can tell me why i'm absolutely wrong about this film i'm <laughs> sure that many of you feel that way Go, do a search for the cinephiles on our facebook page you could subscribe to the show on apple podcasts on spotify youtube Please re leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. We say it every time, and they are just as important this week as they were when we started The Cinephile. So please leave those reviews. If you want to support the show and pick a film the way that Matt Correa did, you could support us on patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. You can buy or stream Scream through Amazon Prime, along with every other movie we've ever reviewed on cinephiles.net. And if you want to reach me, you can do so at Twitter at SR Morris, Instagram SR Morris one. And if you're into Star Trek, we are just starting the second season with Star Trek's only Halloween themed episode, Cat's Paw, an episode mm -hmm. I don't like, but we have a really good conversation about it. Um, 
John, how would people reach you? Yeah, you can always find me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you want to head on over to Twitch, you can follow me there as well. The Outlaw Nation doing watch-alongs and play-alongs there. And as far as my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca Says. Go and see all the stuff I'm doing there, reviews and uh, reactions. And my two pod, my two other podcasts, The Geek Buddies and The Top Ten, out there for people to enjoy as well. So there you go. Uh, wishing you a very, very yes. happy and scary Halloween. Yes. Uh, this is, um, I don't even know what to say next. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, yeah, I think that's good. We both wish you a very, very, from Stu and from. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll keep this in, but it seems kind of funny. <laughs> Look, it's been a long day, people. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next time on The Cinephiles. <laughs>